Welcome back, true believers and listeners. It is Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers with your hosts, uh, Lance Meister, Joel Eddy, and Marco Arnado. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to give a big thanks and shout out to 2d6.org for not only hosting our reviews, but also hosting this marvelous podcast that we do, hopefully going forward, bi-weekly. We've, we've been trying to put our nose to the grindstone to get it done more often, so we hope you enjoy it and also before we dive into what's going on with uh, our daily gaming lives we also want to welcome the long view a brand new podcast 2d6.org it's getting a lot of uh, a lot of play i guess and a lot of excitement um so guys if the long view guys are listening to this make sure you have me as a guest host sometime soon but anyway uh on to the meat of the matter uh joel how you doing buddy uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I just wanted to also mention that we have a thread going on our Board Game Geek Guild. Uh, in our following episode, we're going to be sort of doing a Q&A thing. Uh, so we've got a thread where we're taking questions from anybody that ha- wants to know anything about us or any questions about anything in general. Uh, and also, if you want sort of a gotcha question to be asked, you can send me a geek mail if you want to maybe have me surprise Marco or Lance with a question. And then if you want to surprise me with a question, go ahead and send it to Lance. So, yeah. And you, Marco? How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Busy with the preparation for the second daughter that is expected to be born in the next week or 10 days or so. Awesome. Awesome. By preparation, I mean that I've been trying to play as many games as I can and just, you know, for as much as I can, you know, play while you can, um, because, of course, then I will have to slow down a little bit. But, yeah, things are fine. Things are nice otherwise. Have you given any more thought to Lancina for a name? For your, for your, for Lancina, your yeah, it, it's on top of the list, just after Jolette or Jolina. We still haven't decided which one. All right, we're in the running, Joel. We're in the running. Yep. Very possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and how's the new house, buddy? How, are, you, are you settled in yet, or...? Yeah, yeah, the games are on the shelves, the books are on the shelves, everything is fine. The final league is that they finished unboxing everything that I have, and again, the house looks like a house, not like a strange theme park slash horror house, so yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I can finally concentrate on gaming and family things. All right, awesome. Well, enough enough talk about real life. Uh, yeah. uh, Joel, what kind of... Yeah, Joel. What are you what have you been playing for the last few weeks? What you been, what's what's been going on in your gaming life? Well, besides building models for Operation Barbarossa nineteen forty one. Oh, are those as tough to put together as I've heard? Oh uh, no, they're they're not really as tough. I actually went down to the shop today and picked up some of the special glue uh, to uh, to get in. So because I want to glue them because they they fit together good, but they kind of come apart, you know, with a little mm-hmm. bit of handling uh but i'm looking forward to playing that one i haven't played it yet but uh, uh i've been playing a lot of games lately i don't know if anybody's noticed i haven't been making any videos <laughs> yeah where is number 100 i thought you the, with, yeah. the, with the big tribute to undead viking at the beginning <laughs> yeah, yeah. But actually one thing is, sorry sorry before we move on since we're talking about operation barbarossa okay yeah. the models are relatively painful how about the rules Okay. Are you enjoying reading those rules? So I, uh, we've talked about this offline, and I, the rules are really actually very simple. You basically have, uh, you know, cards for each of your units on the board. 
and you keep track of the stats on one side and then you give it orders every turn on the other side and everybody reveals their orders and that's it. So that's that's the game. But but every it's unit it has like all these different abilities that it can do and there's like 40 different special abilities in the game. Not only that, depending on the type of order you give it. So if you give it a defense order, all of the units that are given a defense order will do their thing first. And then you do like skirmish fire and then another kind of attack and then movement and then this and that. There's like 10 different types of orders and based on what units you're attacking. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meat in it. You know, it's just tons of, but the actual rules are nothing. You know, you give an order and reveal your cards and play it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and yet exactly. Then to be able to play the game with all that stuff, the learning curve is pretty steep. Just because definitely. there's a lot of things, there are a lot of things that you have to memorize. Isn't even they are really related to one another. You just right. have to memorize lists and lists of modifiers and rules and, and procedures. Now, I will say that I did also get the expansion. And mm-hmm. expansion has a rewritten rule book, which is a little bit better, but also comes with some player aids and things like that. The first original oh, okay. doesn't come with any player aids. So, yeah. So, uh, I think if they ever reprint the original, they should include all of that stuff because it does make it a little bit you know, easier to refer to. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say I was at the model shop or the, the game shop and they play Warhammer and stuff. And I brought the box and I was like, you know, give me the right glue. And he's like, oh, you got this? I want to play this. So, hopefully I'll be able to now this cool. game is has the art of tactic, and the reason I wanted to uh, get I actually emailed the guy uh, that you know the company because I wanted to get a review copy of Samurai Battles, which is coming out, and a lot of people are excited about that. It uses the same system that's in Samurai Battles, and also the Command and Color system, you know, from Memoir Forty Four and all those games. So he said, well, you know, that's not going to come out for a while, and let me give you this, and you can take a look at this, and so. I think Samurai Battles, uh, you know, Marco, you said this earlier, will be simpler because it's just, mm-hmm. you know, there's no airplanes and tanks yeah. and things. It's just And cavalry. that means no airplanes means no anti-aircraft and no other things that interact with the anti-aircraft. Right. So I think that, um, uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that because I think the the system seems really unique, you know, with the hidden orders and everything. and. Mm-hmm. And but just all those little idiosyncrasies and exceptions, and hopefully those will be less with Samurai Battles. Yep. But other than putting together those models, I've been playing tons of games. Let's see, I played Venus, which I talked about last time, and I played Village, which just got nominated for a Kenner Spiel des Jahres, and I think deservedly so after one play. I don't know, I don't know, but uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I like it quite a bit, and your workers can die, in mm-hmm. it, which mm-hmm. is rad. And <laughs> and, and I think I think the really cool thing about that, and I know other people have alluded to it, is that you'll um, like I like how like you'll purposely at the beginning of the game you'll you'll be picking workers to do certain things for you, knowing full well they're going to die. Yes. But but yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's like well, off to the mines with you. You know, just right. like, exactly. <laughs> Because I, I need to get what I can out of you, and then, and then, yeah, please just die soon so I can move on to my next generation of people. I, I, I like that; it's kind of neat. Right? Yeah, it's it's cool because it's like you're working them to death, you know. Exactly. And you work that first generation to death to set it up so in your third generation, 
then you've got your guys that are going to hang around and score your bonus points at the end of the game and stuff. Yeah, I've been meaning to do a video review of that for a while. I got to get that done one these days. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you could, there's a lot of screwage in that game too. With I, mm-hmm. you can take the cubes and then take the action where the cube was. Yep, and, yep. And that cube you take, you're going to use later to like get a wagon or something. And uh, and you can see like, okay, Tom over there, he's he really needs a pink cube because he's going to be traveling. So I'm going to go take a pink cube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a lot of, it's cool because it's kind of like a medium kind of easy game, but there are a lot of little layers of things in there um, that I don't, you know, I've only played it once, but. Uh, I, I, when I read the rules, I didn't think it would be, I, I, I got the same take as you. I mean, it's like, I, I kind of read it as like, a, uh, you know, a lighter, like a medium Euro, maybe a little lighter on the medium mm-hmm. scale. But I mean, but then when I found, when I actually played it and like, yeah, like you said, there's like a layer there that doesn't really present itself until you actually sit down and play the game. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it was if, kind, of a, kind of worker placement games. I, I can't think of a reason why not to at least try it. If not, just buy it when, when you see it online. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's not really, I mean, it is worker placement, but it's kind of not, it's weird. I mean, it's a totally different type of worker placement. It's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just like, take, for example, like Manhattan Project is technically a worker placement game, but I don't really think of that as being a worker placement game, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much more to it than, than beyond that mechanism. So. Right, right. Um, but getting beyond ourselves here. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I had a real interesting night Um, that night. It was... I played the village, but before I play, where people die, people die in the village. But before that, I played Key Market, which is an older game out of print. Uh, but in that game, basically the whole point is to retire your workers, <laughs> and then you get points for your, your retired workers and any workers that you've sort of um, elevated to sort of high stature in these different guilds. And then I played another game where you marry people, <laughs> which is Helvetia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think that's, that's Helvetia. Helvetia, anyway. you're right, you're right. Uh, key market's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I there's anything wrong with it. I think I suck at it, so I don't really like it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have, I have Key Cathedral, which is like his other. Richard Breeze has these whole key key dumb games, and Key Cathedral is like the other one that's kind of ranked up there, and I really <laughs> like that. Did you sign up for uh, pre-ordering his key flower when yes, it comes I, out? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, and I shouldn't. I mean, if if you're a fan of any of the key games, I mean, I think you should sign up for those. Yeah. But even if you aren't, you aren't, you should sign up for him because since he only prints like what is it, like 750 copies of the game. Mm-hmm. Once people start raving about it, the thing is worth three times as much anyway. Oh yeah. I mean, like I have I have a copy of Key Market behind me that you know I think I paid seventy dollars for. I could sell it for two hundred dollars right now if I wanted to get rid of it. I don't want to get rid of it because I love it, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that game. It was the whole. I want to play it again, but the whole thing where you move your workers on the fields and stuff really fried my brain for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the timing of it, it's crazy. And that's the other thing I really like about that game where, okay, so you place your workers out and you get your resources and then everybody goes and sells something at the same time, but you, you're hiding what you're selling. So, um, and you reveal it and then you either take turns selling your stuff or you can take what's called a guild action and, you know, like move your guy up a guild or buy stuff or whatever. 
And so that whole thing of the timing of that is really kind of crazy. Like this whole little metagame. And I, I really like that aspect of it. And I totally hosed myself on my last turn because I thought I was going to be able to retire two of my guys, but I screwed up and I should have retired one the previous turn. And I got last place, so I felt shame. But <laughs> <laughs> And then I felt shame. <laughs> so I played Key Market, and that's good, but I wouldn't recommend anybody go pay 200 bucks for it just because... Oh. Well, I think the last time I saw it online, like boards and bits had copies that were for like 150 bucks, and he sold out in like a day. I mean, people were just lined. He still up. has some. Oh, he still does. Yeah. Oh, I thought he had sold out. Yeah. So there, it isn't 200 bucks. 150 dollars for. Oh, 175. Oh, well, I, only. I, yeah, I played it with him actually. Um, and he, yeah. he cracked his copy. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? You opened it? <laughs> but. Uh, well, he can just go get another one and take it off his shelf if he if he wants to. So. That's I mean, true. <laughs> but hey, hey, uh, but you know, for anybody uh, uh, who who wonders, I mean, Tom's a good guy. He's mm-hmm. he's good people. So. He's very good. Yeah. Um, just don't piss him off in a game of Olympus. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's or 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 don't be as don't be. Uh, he had, and I'm not going to mention names or anything like that. But a long time ago, there was a thread on BGG, and Tom is very active on Board Game Geek, especially if somebody mentions boards and bets and has something. He's more than willing to, and and he's very. He's very opinionated, and he he's not scared of of saying what he thinks. But um. There was like this huge thread by um, one of the uh, board game geek crazies. There aren't many, but there are a couple out there. And uh, he was posting about um, just trying to make it a short story. He was posting about the fact that he thought that like FedEx was uh, part of like a kind of like a a global, like kind of a weird conspiracy Mm. because like they had lost a game order of his and he couldn't prove where it was. And, and so, and then the order was through thought hammer. And, and, and so he was kind of going off and on. And then like, apparently Tom posted basically saying something along the lines that FedEx isn't like that or whatever, you know, it's like, you know, these, they're not involved in some weird conspiracy. You just need to kind of get over yourself. And, and so then the guy kind of went off on Tom or whatever Mm -hmm. about, about, um, the Mayfair, this is back when the Mayfair price fixing thing was going around and everybody was getting all up in arms about it and stuff like that. And, and then, then, and then later on, the same guy posted that because of the fact that he was speaking the truth, um, about what was going on in the board game world. Uh, he had been banned from uh, purchasing games from Thoughthammer and Boards and Bits, and, and Tom <laughs> Tom logged in, and he goes, there's only one reason why you're banned from ordering from my, my company, because you're an ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, I, I, as long as you have what's in stock for me, I will buy from you from this point forward. <laughs> because that was, just like, that was like the best line I'd ever read in my entire life. But anyway, go on. Yeah, so I played those two and some other stuff. But then I played Helvetia that night and actually been playing that online. They put it on Brett Spielwelt, which, if people don't know, is a German online game thing. And uh, I don't think they even announced it because I was just on there looking for a game of Seven Wonders or something. And I was like, oh, Helvetia's on there now. (laughs) Sweet. You were looking for a game of Seven Wonders? Why? Because you hate yourself or what? No, I was just bored. Um, I have a couple of friends. So that's all they want to play ever is seven oh. ones, and they only and they only want to play with an odd number of people for some reason. They think mm-hmm. the game's the best at three, and it's good at five, and it's like passable at seven. But if I try to get them to play with four or six, it's just like I'm I don't know I don't know what well, the deal is. That's weird. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's the original reason that they are putting forward that. 
Well, I can see playing Seven Wonders with three. I can I can totally get that because that way you're always trading with right. the two people, mm-hmm. you know, and and so and so you're directly actually. I, I'm sure everybody and their mother has played Seven Wonders at this point, but the whole point is that the game you're passing cards to your left and to your right during the game, and so what can happen when there's a ton of people if you have some people that don't really know what's going on, they'll be like handing cards to somebody that they really really need, and and it's just making that person better. And when you when you know that if you were like to their right, you'd be you wouldn't be handing them that card mm-hmm. because you, you'd be taking that card into your own hand. You know, basically playing suboptimally so you can make sure they don't get it. So, so I can see where playing with three, you are actually dictating, you know, what your opponents are getting at any given time. You know, you, you have more direct control. But right. I, don't, I don't like to play it with more than four, honestly. But go ahead. Yeah, but I so I don't know where they're getting their whole odd number three five seven thing. But right. I don't know. They're crazy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can see. Um, yeah, I like to play with three and four, but any more than that, and then I'm like, oh, uh, like I like that game, you know, it's fun, but to me, I, this has that unsatisfied feeling at the end of it, and I'm not sure what it is, but it's a really, you know, unique. It's cool that they came up with this whole system of it, and it's really, you know, the design is admirable, I guess is the word, but it's just not when I really, I don't really look forward to playing it. I think as you play it. Um, like the first time you play it, you you you're kind of buying into the civilization theme of it because mm. you're like, oh, I've got a barracks, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this. And after you played it a few times, it's just like it's like yeah. playing Minion, where the the it's just it's just numbers on the card, and I think that's where the 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 detraction comes from. Yeah. So I was looking for a game of that online, <laughs> and and so I found that they had Helvetia on there, and so I played that uh, today. Uh, that game is really oddball. And I, I've got to give that one some more plays for sure. It could be, uh, you know, don't take too much weight. To, it could be really not really a very good game at all, or it could be this really, really, really great game. I think um, because in that game you like marry your workers, so it's kind of a worker placement game. And uh, it's more so like worker worker mating game. <laughs> it's a worker mating, and you can make babies. Um, and I was joking with my friend about it because. You, when you make babies, you you get to pick the sex of your worker coming in because you have male and female workers. So I'm like, what kind of evil genetic dictatorship is this? You know, <laughs> so you're like, you will have a girl, you will have a boy. Um, so, uh, okay, I'm gonna keep my mouth shut yeah. so we don't have to edit something. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but um, North Korea, anyone? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. It's gonna be like a North Korean village. Or, Anyway, but it's really weird. So it's like you get you collect resources, but you never actually collect any. You just use them up right at that turn to like build something or trade something. And uh, and the timing of it's really crazy because you have these discs that you put out for worker placement, but you can put out more than one. So if you want to take the build action, you can put out like three and do like three build actions or use two of those extra discs for um, for extra resources. And if you want to make babies, you can like put all four down and make four babies or just put one down. And so the timing of yeah, everybody has like an uneven number of turns. And so the person at the end of the round that has discs left, you know, the last person that has any unused discs, um, they become the first player on the next round and they get like a bonus point marker. Uh, you know, so it's, it gets kind of gamey. So um, 
but it's cool. It's really weird. It's hard to explain without you know doing like a video and showing you how it works. <laughs> hey, not not to not to digress even further, but when you say gamey, when mm. when you're talking, what, uh, what what's your definition? Because I used that uh, the other day to describe a game, and somebody was like, "What does that mean?" And I was trying to like, I was. I was I was I was uh, searching for a good way to say well this is what I mean. I mean I know what I say like to game the game and right. which I've used many times and that's mm-hmm. like when you're when you're like uh, taking your mentality out of the, like the what the game is about and you're actually like thinking outside of the actual rules of the game mm-hmm. to to make the game something else you know and you know so right. and that itself in itself is not a really good explanation but what do you mean when something is it gets gamey. Um, Can I ask, what is the game that you define this gamey lands? Just to have an well, example. Oh, well, like I was, I was referring. Well, any game, any negotiation game, like like people start gaming the game. They they start like, oh, well, I know that you know Bob is like I I, I have friends. I have had friends when I'm playing Battlestar Galactica that 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 mm-hmm. I when I play Battlestar Galactica, it sucks for me now because basically anything that I say or do is. Um, nobody believes me no matter what. It doesn't matter what I do. They they always assume I'm a Cylon no matter what because of the fact they say because you're you're too good at at, at bluffing. You're too good at you know uh, at, at at you know you know even when I'm being honest they assume I'm not. You know kind of one of those things. So they're they're because in real life I can I can I can lie straight faced you know just like and stuff like that. It's just it's just I don't know a talent I guess not a really good one to have apparently. But so they're gaming the game. They're taking they're taking outside influence. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're applying it to a, to the game, and so like mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, I enjoy it, but like I don't play it nearly as I play instead of playing it like three times a month, I play it like once every two months now because I just it really bugs me when I play the game because like everybody's like, well, Lance is a Cylon, just put him in the brig. I mean, I've had like there's there's a character in in in, in Battlestar Galactica that if I'm playing as a character um, that allows you to execute somebody, uh, Callie, uh, if she's on the same spot as somebody, she can just use her special power and she just kills that person. Right. And in, undoubtedly, somebody takes that and kills me on the second or third turn, like almost in every single game I play, yeah. no matter what I do. And they're just like, well, our morale's good enough. If we kill them, we're, we're, we're guaranteed to have them be human, you know? And it's just like... This this isn't even fun anymore, kind of thing. It's like mm. one of those things. But anyway, that's my definition of gaming the game. Right. I think that's a close close to what I think. Um, to me, that's kind of more meta gaming. You know, where it's the game outside the game. Uh, you know, like where you hold a grudge for the next game and that kind of thing. Sometimes. Well, I, I I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the gaminess thing is it's it's weird. So it's kind of like where it's probably a mechanic in the game where the game's theme totally disappears usually. Um, now the the closest example I can think of, and it's not really one that I agree with, but it's the only thing I can think of right now, is in Power Grid. Uh, you know how the turn order is dictated like last to first, and it's mm-hmm. sort of a catch-up mechanism. And so, but it doesn't really make sense because if you're first, why are you going last? And if you're last, why are you going first? Yep, yep. So that's kind of a gamey thing. Um, I actually don't have a problem with it, and I have a perfectly legitimate explanation for it, which is the company that's bigger and more spread out is less agile, so they don't they move last anyway. Uh, but the, a lot of people see that as gamey, and they have a problem with that. Um, the other thing, so in Helvetia, the thing that's gamey is, okay, if I put my discs out and whoever is the last person uh, to put their disc out gets the first player marker, like I said, for the next round, and that gives you a point. 
Well, it, it it ended up in the first game that I played the other day that the guy and the winner is the first person that gets to 20 points. Well, the guy won by making sure he got the first player marker, and that was his final mm. point, and he won the game. Now, I didn't really have a huge problem with that because um, he was doing pretty well anyway. So, but it was kind of a thing where he just kept putting out only one disc at a time. Um, and maybe you wouldn't necessarily do that. I think those were the good moves for him anyway, but we, the other players were set up so that we had to start dumping our discs to, you know, sort of catch up, uh, you know, and do a whole lot at once, kind of have big turns. And so it came out that, you know, well, he, he placed the last disc and, you know, we didn't have quite enough points and he got that extra point from the first player marker to push him to 20 and won the game. So that's kind of gamey. Um, another another mm-hmm. good explanation. I'm sorry for gamey. I, this is the this is the definition that I gave somebody for gamey was, um, I said it's playing Arkham Horror, but instead of actually like trying to uh, invest yourself in the story of the game of like you're trying to fight against the great old great old one, instead of doing that, you you take like you actually are reading strategy articles and stuff like that and figuring out like the percentages and the nuts and bolts of the game. Mm-hmm. That's that's gamey to me. When you you're like, well, I know that if I go there, that's where 60% of the gates show up. So I'm going to sit myself there so I can do this and I'm going to sit this guy there. That's that's what I consider because you're mm-hmm. doing the game wants you to do one thing, I think. I mean, I, the game shouldn't tell you what to do, but that's my gaminess. When you when when the game allows you to do that, that kind of bugs me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, in, in word gaming, the gamey aspect of things can be really problematic because word games are so much about the theme. They're so much about experiencing the theme. I mean, some word games are used to study the theme, you know, as, as actual scientific historical models. And my definition, and also the definition that I see most often using word gaming, is pretty much what Joel said, which is situations in which the mechanics uh, completely overwhelm the theme, in which you are playing certain mechanics that the game allows you to. You're doing certain things that are allowed by the rules that do not make any sense historically, uh, and that would make you win the game, even though historically things would not work that way. Mm. An old example from an old classic of a word gaming is the Russian campaign. In the Russian campaign, uh, came out decades ago, um, attack is mandatory when you're adjacent to an opponent. And people complained that if you are sieging a city, uh, then the defender is forced to attack, which would be like if the Germans are sitting outside of Stalingrad then all the Russians are coming out of Stalingrad to be mowed down outside of the city mm. instead of fighting within the city and taking advantage, of course, of, of all the tactical options options there. And then somebody says, well, it is true, you have to attack and that you will get damage, but it's a, it's an abstract and gamey way of representing attrition, the fact that the defender in any case would be weakened. So it is a procedure that uh, may still be seen that way. An example more recently is uh, from Conflict of Heroes. You guys played it, I think. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've played it. Yeah. Well, Conflict of Heroes. I don't. I don't play war games. <laughs> good. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, um, one of the differences be- for me between Conflict of Heroes and Band of Brothers uh, that came out last year is. I find Band of Brothers much more thematic because it's very hard to find the moment in which it is gamey. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
a gamey thing in Conflict of Heroes that you do not have in Band of Brothers is that when your units are spent, are spent. The units have points to activate, and that's good. Right. Then you have extra points, special points for special activations so that they can activate after they are spent, and that is good. But sooner or later, you run out of those. And if you run out of every form of activation that you have and the opponent hasn't, then your mana just sitting there in the field doing nothing. And if your opponent manages to save action points, then your mana just there looking all tough, but the opponent just walks around them, walks in front of them, and they just sit there and they're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't have action points. <laughs> so I just sit here and let myself be shot in the head. Um, you know, one of the two sides may just sit there while the opponent walks in an open field right. and, and kills everybody at point blank, which would never happen in reality. And well, Bottom Brothers actually has found a way to solve this, which is no matter how spent your units are, no matter whether they have acted or not, they have points or not, if somebody gets their point blank, they're going to fire first. Um, and that situation in Conflict of Heroes, which is your actions are um, tied to points, and when you're done, the man represented by the unit cannot act anymore. Well, that's a situation in which the game mechanics completely override the theme. Mm-hmm. And then I, I said that in a video, and of course people complain like, oh, some people don't know how to play this game, they don't know how to avoid that, and then they blame the game for being gamey. Eh, well, that, that's actually my, my definition of game is a game in which such a situation may arise. Right. I guess that the people that complain that a different definition, which was a game in which a competent player can prevent that situation. Um, okay, just different definitions. But mine is precise a game that would allow you to uh, play proficiently in a way that it's good for you by exploiting the rules in a way that respects the rules, but completely distorts or ignores or betrays the theme. Right. Well, see, my thing with the action point thing is, I think I I probably disagree with you on that, is to me that whole system is about, uh, you know, sort of simultaneous actions. And it's just using that system to sort of overlay that and, um, and sort of represent that. And I do agree with you that there are situations that are like a little odd, you know, like you said, you know, walk, walking right by another unit. But to me, if you look at that whole round as happening somewhat, somewhat simultaneously, I sort of, you know, it gives me enough of that suspension of disbelief that it doesn't bother me personally. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, I do, I do agree. I, I mean, I do see your point for sure, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Well, you see, if my, if my units were spent because they were fine against your units, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then your other units are coming from behind. So yeah. I can see, well, my units are looking in one direction, they're distracted, and your other units are coming at the same time in the opposite direction, and they shoot me in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the action point system, there's no guarantee. One of your units may come out of a hole and force my unit to be spent, and then your other unit comes out from the same hole, walks in the same direction, <laughs> walks exactly in front of the other unit, yeah, and still I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, you know I can't do anything. Uh, so I, there are cases in which yes, the the simultaneity of the events, of course, the events represented in the game, uh, because mechanically the game is not simultaneous, but you can see the action as simultaneous. 
there are cases in which that works and other cases in which it just does not. Right. But again, it's again, it's one of the possible gamey aspects or odd situations. Where were we? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Joe was talking about the games he's been playing. Yeah, I'm. I'm we we, uh, oh, yeah. we diversified several times. Yeah, no, I'm. And I'm I was done. just and I was just admired that Lance once more managed to squeeze in Battlestar Galactica and Arkham Horror. <laughs> you know. Hey. That, uh, you know, the, just, we'll have a be an episode in which we don't talk about those two games. Arkham War got me into this hobby, and Battlestar Galactica is one of the best games to come out in the last five years. That, that there, there is a people to try to say that it's just, you know, it, it's whatever it is. It's a bunch of cards being thrown in the middle, and I and I can get that. But seriously, the is it's it's one of the best games to come out. It's 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 amazing. If you, to take a game that's that thematic, that's like, you know, based around a TV show, and that I've never seen a single episode yet, you know, I dig it as much as I do. That's that's just a good design. So there you go. Okay, there there is one other game that I have been playing, and then I'll kick it off to either one of you guys. Uh, it's a newer game. It's called Lords of Awesome Deep, and uh, so I've been quite enjoying that one. But. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll let Lance uh, take it from here. I think I hear him. I hear a munching sound. Is he eating? He's eating a card. I think. No, I am not eating a card, <laughs> and I know that I have a uh, uh, a debt that to be repaid as far as uh, uh, a, a a wager, if you will, from the last podcast. Um, uh, but. I went through uh, my my game of Lords of Waterdeep, and I and I and I I tried to uh, find a card uh, to eat, but it's just all the cards are integral to the game, and I'd feel bad about the fact that you know once I do my review, which I should be doing really soon, um, uh, I, I you know I'll, I'll give it to like one of my friends or something like that, and I'd feel bad about eating a card. So I don't know. I'll have to come up with some other method of contrition or something uh, to uh, to assuage to 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 uh uh apologize to the the gaming gods but um ah oh, what have i been playing um well today uh we're today was the second to the last uh session of my friend craig's uh pathfinder campaign we've been playing in a little over a year so uh we are we are geared up for the the big final battle uh two weeks from now so that should be interesting a couple of uh, uh demon lords and an undead beholder and something else so we're looking forward to doing that uh and then uh so i've been playing a lot of role-playing games i guess but in the board game world Recently, um, I've been playing Rolling Freight. Uh, uh, How I, is that? I, I like it. I mean, um, it's uh, you know, it's a dice game, and I like dice games, but uh, it it maintains the, you know, I don't know. I'm not a big train game player. Hmm. Um, I've played a few 18xx games, and I don't mind them. I I, I find them to be, um, I don't know, a little bit too economic for me i mean mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they're crunchy and they're meaty and i totally understand why people uh really really uh for lack of a better term get off on playing those and i and i wouldn't even say that i i, I usually when i see people playing um uh an 18xx game at a uh 
at a, a convention or something like that. It, it's just like um, I, I know they're having an absolute blast playing the game, but I also know that um, you know it's like they they don't dare uh, show it in any way because it's just lots of lots of really thoughtful noddings and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and slowly plotting out you know making your money and what have you and and I, and I can appreciate that even though maybe I don't grasp it uh, as well as I should. Right. Uh, but no, so it, it maintains the train theme really well for a dice game. Um, you know, I, I put it at around medium weight and, and there's a lot of interesting choices and what have you, but, um, uh, uh, I guess it's like, I know the Kickstarter people, um, got their copies and so those are rolling around, but I think it actually is going to finally, um, hit uh like the online shelves or the 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 local gaming store shelves here in the next few days or so so um we get a more wide release then um other than that i mean as far as gaming wise i mean i i have been like going through my gaming collection slowly but surely Uh, i'm 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 finally getting rid of a ton of games just because having 450 games is kind of ridiculous when you're not playing all of them so I'm, i'm 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 ditching a bunch but um it was kind of fun. I, I was I was actually finding games that like I hadn't played in a long time, and I was just like, oh, I gotta play this again. And so um, I had a lot of I had a lot of uh, old home week type situations where I like I played like Dice Town again with my friends, which is like just I love really- that game. Oh, Dice Town is great. I don't and, own it, but I love that game. Oh yeah, I mean it's just there because it, it's you, you can play it in about forty five minutes and. You know, it's just it. It's a game of a poker dice, basically, with with some places on the board to mess with, and 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 um, you know, there's there's like even some roles because you can be the sheriff, you know, and and uh, the sheriff gets to determine, you know, uh, ties and what have you, and 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 so there's fun little things like that as far as that goes. I played Dungeon Lords uh, the other day with a couple of my friends. Uh, one of um, uh, one of Vlada. Chavadal or mm-hmm. Chavadal, whatever. Perfect. That's a yeah, awesome. You know, he's got some great games. I really, really love Through the Ages, even though I can't really convince my friends to play it because it's such a time investment. Mm-hmm. Um, but that game is, you know, really, really good. Uh, but um, Dungeon Lords is probably my favorite uh, game by him, right. and uh, I, 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 I like the fact that um, it's so cool that he takes a theme. Like he he like he obviously played the the game Dungeon Keeper, uh, and if you played PC games, you know what I'm referring to. He obviously played Dungeon Keeper and said, "Let me see if I can make a board game uh, about and, and about Dungeon Keeper." And so, um, uh, Dungeon Lords is just it's uh, I wouldn't say it, it isn't like chaos per se, but it's like it's it's trying to prepare for the worst and then having the worst happen to you and then and you and then you get to judge you know how well you prepare it i guess and so i i, I really I, i've always liked that game with all the imps and all the little special things you can do and the little monsters you get to populate your your dungeon with and it's just a it's just a neat fun theme and I and I and I dig it so I've been playing that. I mean as far as new games go, I mean I I, I got a prototype copy of Ground Floor uh, that they sent me for reviewing, uh, which is another review I'm going to be working on. Um, I actually uh, we I played a lot of um uh, Mage Knight actually in the last week. That's I don't know my, what happened. That's my it was favorite, like uh, Chivato. 
Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that was what it is. It was like we we played we played Dungeon Lord. Yeah. Now I don't want to turn this into a big giant discussion about Mage Knight because I we could probably talk about it all day long. But yeah. Um, you know, I I got it. I got the game. Uh, you know, when basically there was like everybody was like it's it's sold out at the publisher. You know, if you better buy a copy, better buy a copy. So I, I contacted Tom and he said he'd hold a copy for me. You know, because once again, how cool Tom at Board and Bits is. So so when it came in, he, he he I bought it and he sent it to me and I and I got it home and I busted it out and um I I I had a couple of my friends over and we played the introductory scenario the the like um. Uh, what is it called? I don't even remember what it's called. The, the basically ex- exploration one, where you're just moving out trying to find the city, and you don't even have to take over the city. You just have to find the city, and then 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 that that signals the end of the game. And I remember that game taking forever. Yeah. And then, but like, because there is a there's a there's a ton of rules, and that's like the one big thing people have a problem with the game is that it's it's very. It's 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 a Euro game, but it's very Ameritrashy in the respect that it, there's a ton of little tiny rules, and there's a ton of little tiny bits, and there's a ton of little things you have to constantly remember, and you're referring back to the rules over and over again, and, and it's definitely a, a I don't want to say it's got heavy rule set because it really isn't, you know, honestly. I mean, once you've played the game a couple times, I don't think it's it's really it, because all the rules, you know, work. Absolutely, I agree. So, 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 you know, once you've played the game, you you know, you know, I mean, you know, from the simple things like, okay, it's nighttime, so it's you know, it, it's cool, so it's easier to move through the desert. I mean, that's why it's easy. That's why the moving points are less. You know, is it something you have to remember? Well, yeah, sure, but I mean, you know, but it's it's thematic, so it isn't it isn't just a rule. It's just sitting out there for no reason other than it just needs to be there. So, yeah, I mean, so we played that opening scenario and um everybody dug it but uh you know and but they everybody mentioned that the game was taking a long time and uh and i will fully admit that i think it's a game that i wish if like you're playing with four people that the people on the opposite sides of the like basically the players number one and three could do their turn at the same time Mm -hmm. and like players two and four could do their turn at the same time and so, like, then the other player, like, that's matched up with them could just basically watch them. Yeah, not that they'd be cheating, but just basically, you know, making sure that they, you know, did everything correctly. But you can't right. do it that way because, you know, turn order it matters, you oh, know, yeah. quite a bit in certain situations. And, and so you can't play it in that way. So, I don't know. Mage Knight, everybody's, like, going crazy for the game. But there's no getting around the fact that the downtime is, is a killer. Oh, yeah. I and I and, and so I, I I'm going to do a review for it and I'm thinking about it and it's just like I can say the game's awesome, but I, I but I have to say the game isn't awesome with four people. I mean, it, it probably isn't really awesome with three. But the thing that sucks about that game is that it's so much fun. I want to play it with four people. I want to have three of my friends sitting at the table and, and playing that game. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's it, it stinks. I mean, because of the fact that like so like the last week or so, I finally we busted it out again and we played it. We had played it a few times and then we we're going to play it again. And then I we played that really big uh, co-op scenario that's in there. That's like the fully co-op, all four people working together, um, you know, to I figured, you know, just for the cities and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun, but it took us like five hours to do. <laughs> 
So, you know, what, what do I, what do I say in that situation? I mean, it, it's, but because not, not everybody's got five hours to, to invest in the game, you yeah. know, and, and it's, it's, it's tough. I don't know. I mean, what do you, uh, I mean, what, what do you think, Joel? I mean, as far All as right. I mean, I 100% agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I said pretty much the same thing as you said, and I did a video review of it a few months ago. And yeah, it's like I had a hard time. I really, I love the game, but I have a hard time like recommending people buy it, you know, from like a reviewer perspective, because I can see a lot of people buying this game and going, holy God, what did I get myself into? And uh, so, but I, the thing is, thing is we were sitting there talking about some, um, the game and uh my friend uh, and i were, were, were kind of bsing about it and i said you know what if i made a five second review because there's this guy that does these five second video reviews of games and you know half of them are very hilarious and i said my review would be this guy like laying out all of his cards to do whatever he wants on his turn and then okay i got this like to attack a city or something you know to get all the combos out and then i would say to him did you pay the two movement points to move into the city? And he would just be like, "Ah, oh, dang it!" <laughs> because no, like, that's completely fair too. Yeah, yeah. it's like you do all of this stuff, especially at the end of the game. You have all these units and cards and everything, and you can do so many different things. And then you're like, "Oh, dang! I'm one point short of killing all five monsters at once." So now you have to backtrack all the way back to the start of your hand. And then, the, re, you know, it's tough. The rules even say that. They, they even have a section in the rules where it says allowing people to revert their turn. Because yeah. the fact yeah. that, because that, and, and people laugh, but that happens all the time in that oh, game. Yeah. Where it's just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll expend these two cards. So I move through here and to here. And now I'm here. And it's just like, oh, wait, no, you move by the orcs twice. They're going to attack you right then. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. son of a, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, I, 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 I wish, and these are quibbles, but I wish there were more wandering monsters of just instead of just orcs and, and, the, and the dragon people wandering around. Yeah. I, 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 I guess I just wish there was more flavor out there. Um, you know, but, you know, these are, and I also wish that, um, uh, I wish that I wish that player versus player combat wasn't so cumbersome that everybody just avoided it. <laughs> you know, because it's just like, oh, I'm going to attack you. Just don't. Just don't. <laughs> just, Please, I don't. I have a headache. Don't attack me. I, no, just don't. Don't attack me right now. I just. I don't want to go through those rules again. You know, and and so, uh, you know, and like I said, it's 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 a marvelous game. It is. It is. And and it's it's got such an amazing design. And and like I said, and, and this everybody said this, but I mean, when I first played it, I was like, I feel like I'm playing Heroes of Might and Magic. I mean, that's what I felt like I was playing, like I was playing the computer game Heroes of Might and Magic, and that I was just super excited about the game, you know, collecting armies and and, and what have you, and and searching the land and finding cool little places where I can get crystals and stuff like that. And um, but it's it's a victim of its own heaviness i guess you know and 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 it might just be a two-player game you know it's it's kind of like now not as good of a game mind you but anybody who's played runebound knows that that game is you know oh you can have up to six players but you better only play with two mm-hmm. you know that was what how runebound was and and it was um you know, and and you know, and I think you can kind of say that the same way for Mage Knight. Yeah, you, know, you can have four players, but 
you better be playing with two, maybe one. And 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 seriously, when you yeah. and, and with two players, it's like one person is just doing their turn, the other person's already just plotting out their turn. They're not even paying attention to the other person at the end of the table, and the other person's just saying, okay, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go here, and then I'm gonna go into the village and I'm gonna buy this, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get that unit or whatever. And it's just like, all right, fine, this is what I'm doing. And 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 at that level, it works great. But like I said, God, I just wish it was just a little more streamlined so I could play with more of my friends. Yeah, and the problem is that when you're introducing somebody new, of course, well, it's going to be a big headache for everybody, for the people that teach the rules, for the people that are trying to absorb them. And then as you play the game, the proficient players have played, you know, the next four turns, whereas the, the new players just like they're desperate, you know, just slowing down the game and feeling miserable. It's it's just very hard, exactly. It's just very hard to introduce new players precisely because it takes so much before you can really figure out what's going on and how to do it without spending hours, yeah, you know, right. between turns. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, I've made the statement that I, I play Mage Knight, will probably only play Mage Knight specifically with my friend who owns it and his brother, because we're both like, oh, I don't want to have to teach this to anybody. <laughs> you know? Oh, I mean, that's horrible. It's horrible. Like, it's horrible to say that, right? You know, that's but, a game where, yeah, trying to teach that to somebody is, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like there were four of us that had played it the first couple, two, three times I played it. And then when we played again, it was like two guys and one new guy. And you're just you're you're grating your teeth, knowing that like, hey, I went through the same learning curve this guy's going through right now. But you just want to just grab his cards and say, this is what you play right there. <laughs> you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do it now. Move on. You know, well, the and, nice thing about the game, though, is that, you know, if you leave out the PvP, you can still even play a competitive scenario where uh, we'll help each other with the turns. Not only can you like let the guy take his turn back, but it, the thing is, it is a thematic game, and you know if you win or lose, that's not really the whole point of that game. I don't think. Um, tell that to my friends. Well, yeah, no, well, I mean you try to win. Same but... thing for me. Yes, tell that to some people that I've played it with. Right. Oh, I know. But I think with that game, it's more, it's just cool to see all that. Because once you get a huge giant hand of cards and you kill like 10 things at once or whatever, it's just like, yeah, that was awesome. Good job. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but yeah. Yeah. And after, recently I was chatting with someone about Mage Knight and comparing it to the Dungeons and Dragons games, you know, how Mage Knight both makes me appreciate those games more and less at the same time. On one hand, is like, oh, well, it's, oh, that's it. Dungeons and Dragons, you move, you roll a die, you flip a monster, you roll a die again. I was like, oh, that's it, that's all that there is. But then on the other hand, it's like, gee, after I play Mage Knight, that's all I want to do. I want to have a fantasy game where they, there's a certain pace, a certain flow, even the new player will just do more or less what the experienced player does, and there isn't too much to think about. You just follow the story. Yeah, you I know. know. Play Mage Knight sort of like show me how both games have their own functions. Both games may work well in certain circumstances, and sometimes I do need to alternate them because one only one type would get stale, and only the other type would be just too much work. No, I agree with you. I mean, after I got done playing uh, Mage Knight for the very first time, I I went and tried to find a place online where I could uh, download or purchase uh, the Heroes of Mind Magic games. I was just like, God, there's got to be some place that I can just play this by myself and have the computer figure out everything else for me. And mm-hmm. it was just, it was, it was, you know, and that, and obviously, if I'm doing that, 
I, I'm playing a, I'm playing a pretty awesome game. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, other than that, I mean, uh, now I, I wanted to, I just got to cut us off. I was just talking with Mage Knight for an hour. Um, other than that, uh, I got some recent cool news. Um, I've got a, a, a like a very what they described as a very uh, uh, a very high-end prototype of uh, carbon dioxide, the CO2, the game that, by the same people that made uh, Vinos uh, coming to me. Uh, mm-hmm. that they want me to review. That's like the the uh, the ultra uh, complex Euro that uh, is about global warming, which uh, I don't want. We're not going to discuss that. And if anybody comments on global warming, I will. I will. Uh, I don't know what I'll do. I'll delete your comments on 2d6.org because I think I have that power. But um, but I, I from from a rules standpoint, um, the game looks pretty impressive, and so I, I'm excited about getting that copy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then I'm getting um, I'm also uh, 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 I can't remember his first name, but but Finn, the guy who did uh, scripts and scribes, which later became Biblios, actually out of the blue uh, asked me if I wanted a copy of his new um, dice game uh, version of uh, of, uh, of scripts and scribes, like scripts and scribes, the dice game. And he mm-hmm. out of the blue contacted me and and asked me if I wanted because he liked my review of Biblios and he wanted me to review the uh, dice game. So uh, he's sending that to me as well. So I'm I'm got a couple of cool games coming to me that I'm excited about playing. And as soon as I do that, I can do a review of those and let people know what I think. But um, other than that, other than some of the older games I've been playing, and oh, I played some Stone Age actually, which uh, I don't know if you ever played that, Marco, but nope. <laughs> um, Stone Age is the is the classic dice collection Euro. Um, I finally played Stone Age with the Style is a Goal expansion that recently came out for it, and um, I found myself uh, enjoying myself, which. Uh, uh, you know, against my better judgment, I always thought of Stone Age as just being um, uh, math story problems in in Euro form because it was just like, because uh, like okay, Marco, you don't understand the game, but I don't know what I'm talking about. But like, um, the whole idea is that you're uh, you're you're trying to put your your workers uh, collecting uh, uh, certain resources and like so, and then for each worker you place on a resource, they. Uh, uh, they give you a die that you get to roll, and um, and so you have to get a certain amount in order to uh, collect one of those resources. So like if it's wood, um, like I think it's three if I remember correctly. So like if you put a worker on, on the wood space and you roll a die and you get a three or higher, you would get one wood. If you rolled a six, you get two wood. And so the more workers you place on there, you you in the, you get to roll more dice and therefore the multiples are different. So whenever I played it, and then you get other things that can make you alter the rolls a little bit and so on and so forth. But whenever I played that game, um, I always felt like I was just kind of doing math story problems probability problems where it's like okay if i need four wood and two stone and i have seven workers i should place you know how many workers would i need to place on stone so i can get a minimum of three stones so i can have you know just so i'm not a big math guy i never have been and uh you know i can i can i can hold my own but it's just never appealed to me but i played it with the expansion and um i won't say it like uh renovated the game for me or anything like that but i did find myself in you find myself smiling as I played, and that usually means I'm having a good time. Um, but other than that, the other game that I played again 
Uh, and I've probably played this game more than anything over the last six months just because it was such a hit with my game group, uh, Feudality uh, by Tom Wham. I played that uh, like one last time. Like we all we played it, and, I, and when I say one last time, is I'm going to get rid of the game because of the fact that. Um, and I, I was going to ask you guys about this, and and I don't know if Marco, you'll have have a have have the a good explanation for me or not. But Joel, you, you, people always talk about being able to play a game you know, five times, 10 times, 15 times, 25 times, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've probably played Feudality, I'm guessing 15, 15 to 20 times. I don't know exactly. It's just, it, my, my friends really liked it. And and it's like, I'll do the review. I'm going to do a review of it before I get rid of it, just because any game I played that much of, I should do a review of. And I mean, ultimately the game got to the point where everybody knew exactly what strategy you have to have while playing the game. Mm-hmm. And and then it just came down to dice rolls because the game has a lot of dice rolls. And then that kind of, and if you're lucky, you, you'd you win. And if you're unlucky, you wouldn't. And then at that point, the game wasn't fun for me anymore. Now, the learning curve to get to that point was really, really fun. I had a blast playing the game. It's very thematic. It's about uh, running a little feudal castle in the surrounding lands uh, with dragons and giants attacking you and all these funny little things happening. I mean, there's all kinds of weird little things that happen during the game. Plagues and and, uh, you know, uh, like swordsman competitions and you can even uh, try to seduce the queen for points and things like that. I mean, it's just all kinds of crazy little fun. It's a Tom Wham game. It's just kind of nutty. And so, but it's fun. But now I never want to play the game anymore because I realized well, I'm going to set it up and it's just whoever rolls really well is going to just or, or basically, because you roll and you and it activates a spot on everybody's board, and if you just happen to be lucky and have a point scoring unit on that on that portion of the board, you'll get a point, and if not, you don't get a point. And so, you know, and, and there's more to it than that. But I, I yeah. you know, now I now it's just like I know what I have to do to win, and then it's, it's, there's no there's no mystery to the game anymore. Right. And now I mm-hmm. have a lot of people that tell me that that's when the game gets really good, you know, because it's just like, oh, you know, it's like now everybody knows exactly on, same, on the same footing and it's just person against person and thinking. And, and that might be for like a heavier game, but for a lighter game, like a, this is I I'd put this on the light scale of the medium euro kind of thing because there's resource collection and things like that. But so. Now I don't want to ever play the game again. I mean, not be, but I, but I, but I love the hell out of the game getting that. So how do I review that game? I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm, I have to say, it was really, really fun, right? Until I realized what the game was about, right? So is well, that a good game then, or is that a bad game? I have two friends that have played Axis and Allies to death. They went to championships. They were really serious for years, and I mean for years. Now when they get together to play Axis and Allies, what they do, they sit around the table, they roll 2d6 10 times. Whoever rolls the highest most often wins the game. And then they go out and get a beer. And get a beer. <laughs> no, literally, that's exactly that's really like, oh, let's play Axis and Allies tonight. Five minutes later, they're out drinking beer. That's that's it. So I guess it can happen. I guess it can happen in many types of games. But 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 my question is 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 that a good game then? I mean because I played it a ton. You know mm-hmm. I, I I I bought the game. Nobody sent me the game. I bought the game because I was a Tom <clears throat> Wamp game and it, it intrigued me. And you know I played the heck out of the game and I got my money out of it. So does that mean it's a good game? Or now here's the clincher and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this to you. Uh, you know. I'm sure there are people out there 
who have solve monopoly or something like that. But that's a game that gets you get more than 15 plays out of that. A family will get more than 15 plays out of Monopoly usually, you know, just because because everybody has a copy and it just sits in the shelf and it gets taken out the four times a year that it's get taken and it sits in that shelf for 20 years. Sure. So you get it gets played more now. How do you compare that? I mean, it's like I, I and I know I'm kind of playing devil's advocate and I'm kind of making it, you know, I'm I'm being kind of a a, a jack wagon by by trying to make this comparison, but. I'm actually torn. I mean, it's just like, so shouldn't a game continue to challenge me? I mean, that's a fatal flaw, in my opinion, for feudality. Right. Even though I enjoyed yeah. the heck out of the game to get to that point. Now, I have a question for you. Um, after, when you say, you know, you have, you know everything that can be done and everybody in your group does. So basically now it is, you guys roll dice and whoever rolls the highest wins. Right? Once everybody gets the optimal strategy. So, the point is that now it has before when when it displayed optimally, it becomes a merely and completely lack base game. Yeah, because of because of tile draws. Um, if you happen to be like in the first, like the first option, like there's tile draws where like people draw the tiles uh, of the units and and buildings that'll be available to buy at the beginning of, of the run. And so if like a really good building or a really good unit happens to come out. And you're in the first place to pick. I mean, that's great. You know, so like the game and the game only lasts, I'm going to guess the game lasts about there's a, there's a ramp up with it. At the very beginning, everybody's just really, really not doing well. And then right around the third or fourth turn, it starts ramp. It, the game speeds up and like you play to like 15 or 14 or something like that. And so at the very beginning, it doesn't seem like you're getting, you're getting any traction. But as soon as like the fourth or fifth round comes up, everybody's the, the wheels start catching in the mud, if you will, and you start really moving forward fast. And the game's over in like three or four rounds at that point. So that's another problem I have with the game. Now I'm 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 already denigrating the game even more. If you're playing with six people, you know uh, the person who's lucky enough to be like like the first player, they're gonna have that first pick at a tile more often than somebody who's going last. You know, it's just like there's all these kind of weird things to the game that but once again, like I said, I had I got my money out of it. Mm-hmm. I had fun with it. But now I'm now I never want to play it again. So is that a mm-hmm. bad game or is that a good game? Again, uh, let's try to approach I want to approach this from another <laughs> angle yet. Uh, if there's a game where a strategy emerges that will always make you win, that is a broken game. That's the definition of a broken game, right? Right. Well, is it though? No? Or that's, or that's the cur- that's okay, current. Okay, let me see, let me say this. It's like uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I know where you're going with this, but let me just say this to interrupt you. If there's a strategy to get to that does that, I mean, like, okay, let's let's say this in Agricola, and if somebody's gonna chime in here and say I'm an idiot for saying this, but in Agricola, I find that having at least four four uh, family members and a stone house usually puts me in a good chance to win. But it's the path it takes you to get to that point that's different. You know, you, you get your cards in front of you and whatever. I mean, the strategy is the same. It's just figuring out how you're going to get there. Well, no, exactly. No, wait, like you said that strategy, you tend to you tend to win. It, you're well, like win. In a broken game, when a strategy emerges, that you will always win, and you're unstoppable. That's the broken game. You do... A, B, C, D, etc., etc., and nobody can stop you from doing that. You will always win the game. That's the broken game. But what I was going Go from there was the idea uh, 
maybe another definition could be a game in which there's no strategy that can grant you victory, meaning it's not meritocratic anymore. Uh, it becomes completely luck, completely luck-based because uh, all the options can be exhausted, and then it all comes to the roll of the dice. But I mean, what I'm just saying is, it's a different way of the game to be broken. In which, in any case, there's no challenge anymore. Just mm-hmm. like there's no challenge if there's always one way to win, uh, then maybe there's no challenge even when there's no way to win and no way to increase your possibilities of winning just by strategic means. I think ultimately when I do my review, I'm probably just going to say that, you know, it's just like, it's a lot of fun, but once you, once you get it, you know, or once everybody realizes what's going to happen, then it's just, it, it's not as fun. Right. I guess. You know, thumb up, thumb down. You can just describe your experience, describe your feelings. It was fun up to the point. It was not as fun later. And there are people that say, I'll never buy a game that I can, I cannot play 50 times. And the people that are planning to play each of the games six, seven times, they'll say, that's fine. I love this game. You know? Well, seriously, who plays a game 50 times? Honestly, unless unless it's a game that you play in 10 minutes. I mean, I can play 50 games of zombie dice, I guess. Sure. But I mean, but, you know, take even a game like Lords of Waterdeep, which, you know, if you wanted to hate yourself and play that 50 times, <laughs> you know, the game takes about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. You know, and so theoretically, if I sat down and I said every day after work, I'm going to bring my friend over that I hate the most and I'm going to make him play Lords of Waterdeep with me. And and I guess over the course of a month, you know, I'd get 30, 30 games in. Right. So but I mean, you, you see these people and this is totally off topic, but you see these people and like they, they post their, their games they played in the previous week and you see them and they're like, oh, I played four games of Through the Ages. I played, you know, seven games of Kings of Solomon, Kingdom of Solomon, and three games of Kingsburg, and I also found some time, you know, to, to play a game of Space Empires 4X. You know, like, that's like that's like eight days, dude. What? It, there's no way you played those games. But they, you see the same people on those threads in BG. what did you play this last week? You know, and they're just like, oh, yeah. Who are these people? Who who doesn't have a normal life? Who doesn't have kids? Who doesn't have a job? I I don't know. Yeah. Many 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 people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I, the, the, but, the childless, independently wealthy, I guess. Uh, but I know per- we're talking about who plays games so many times. I know a person that played Twilight Struggle two hundred and fifty times. Mm-hmm. Just saying. And if you challenge him, he's, he's still playing. He would still play the game. Yeah. It's still far from being over with the game. Well, there's uh, a reason. Again, I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying, you know, that's reviews, like everything we do, like this podcast, is going to have a broad audience. Well, not that broad. Okay, let me phrase that. It's all all seven of our fans of, out there. Of people very different from one another. Uh, and some people go for the like the idea of potentially endless replayability. So other people don't care so much. So. Yeah, you know, and I, I will if, say that if you, if you share your experience with the game, just like you did here, you 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 give people good information that then people can use and 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 use in the way that is relevant to them, depending on what philosophy of replay they have. Exactly, and I will say that my philosophy of that has changed since doing reviews, and it's one thing I didn't really expect. That, you know, I didn't really know what would happen. You know, I started doing reviews like a year ago, just over a year. And 
there would be times when we would play, you know, Kalis twice in a night followed by Power Grid. Or we'd play Power Grid twice in a night followed by Kalis or something else. And, you know, and we'd do that week after week. And, you know, I don't know that... I think there's something in, like, my drive to do a review versus my drive to play. Like, they're kind of at odds with each other. And I don't know if that's maybe what, you know, it's maybe it's kind of what Lance is talking about. Maybe not exactly, but it's like, okay, how many times do I need to play a game before A, I review it, or B, I decide if I like it or don't like it, and then, okay, do I, what's going to happen after I review it? I'll play it a little bit more, and then, you know, maybe I won't like it after the 10th time. You know, it's like, well, what do you do? And I think you're exactly right. Everybody has a different expectation of what what they like and stuff, and you know, there's people that play Ticket to Ride like hundreds and hundreds of times. And that's like, yeah, I mean, I could see that, but it's still like, gosh, how do you, how does it feel new after the 50th time, you know? But mm -hmm. I, you know, I think the, this is, everybody comes at this thing so differently that it's difficult. And I don't know, I'm kind of all over the place, but I, I think it's just expectation and attitude going into the game. Like if you threw down Lords of Waterdeep in front of Lance, he's already going to have an attitude problem. So he's not going to enjoy it. It's not an attitude problem. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's having an awakening. <laughs> but like if you threw down Quarriers in front of me, I would probably kick the thing across the room. You have know? you played Have you played that with two by and one call oh, and, no. and dedicated calling? You know what, Lance? At Gen Con, if you bring it, I will play it with you and that. We'll see if it works. Okay, I'm serious. And everybody who who bashes on couriers, and I, I that's fine. You have an opinion, and I and I and you're entitled to have that. But everybody who says, "Oh, I did," there's nothing to decide. Sit down. It'll take a half hour out of your life. Sit down and play it with the two buys, and just that's really simple. The two by variant right. mean, meaning that when you roll for your quiddity, your money, you 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 get you can buy up to two things. Because mm -hmm. like the big thing about it was like in the past, it was like just buy the most expensive thing. Because that was, you know, if I, you know, because there's no reason to hold on to. But now if you have like seven quiddity, oh, do I buy, you know, do I buy this thing for two and this thing for five? Do I buy this, these two things that cost three and so on and so forth. And also then selective culling means that when you, the, when you score, you, you're able to usually cull a die. And that way people were like taking the quiddity dice basically out of right. their, you know, out of the, out of their bag. Mm -hmm. But in this case now, the only thing that you can cull is the die that you scored. Yep. The only difference is if you score an assistant, that little brown die you get at the very beginning that gives you the rerolls and stuff like that. If you score an assistant, then you can call any die. Mm -hmm. and that's and that's what. And if you play it with that rule, it it, it that's even now when they have tournaments, like official courier's tournaments, they right. play with that rule. Right. I mean, so and, and it, somebody that that hated the game, you know, and uh, I can definitely see that that would improve the game. It's just nobody in my group likes it either. You know, and this was all back last year when it came out and nobody likes it. So nobody has it in my group. So I won't have the chance, but I totally see that. And I'm totally, totally uh, willing to play it that way and give it a couple of plays at least. And uh, for sure. But yeah, but you know, but I was just using that as an example because everybody knows I hate that game. Um, but uh, it, 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 I was trying to make the point of, you know, the attitude and the expectation of going into a game is like probably more important than anything, even maybe as important as the game itself. You know, you've got to really get, sometimes you've just got to get yourself in the mindset of either A, this is going to be light and fun, 
and I'm just going to sit here and socialize and have a drink with people or B, this is going to be really methodical and brain burning and I've really got to commit to it. And, and to me, that's almost like the most important thing about the games itself is you just got to have the right attitude going into the game and the right expectation. No, dude, I'll agree with you uh, 100%. I mean, um, in my failed attempt at trying to defend Urban Sprawl to many people, both in person and online, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because people are just like, oh, you know, it's this, that, and the other thing or whatever. And, and it's just like, I think, and, and, and you know what, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe the game sucks and I'm insane. You know, maybe that's what the whole point is. But I do think that is a case where a lot of people went into that game thinking they're going to play another really deep, engrossing strategy game like like Dominant Species, and it wasn't like that. And so that's where I think a lot of the backlash came from. Right. But yeah, and, and you can say that about tons of games out there. I mean, they're just like. But I also do hate, 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 hate the argument of you just don't get it. This is a great game. And, and so mm-hmm. I know I, by saying what I just did, I'm going, I'm basically saying that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hate myself for saying that, but you know, it's just like, because it all goes to the f- fact of, you know, it's like, dude, I didn't like the game. You know, I don't need you to tell me that it, it's, it's, it's a great game. It, it wasn't for me, you know, you, and I've said this, I don't know how many times to how many people and, and people still say, you know, respond to my reviews saying that I'm wrong about games and what have you. But I've always just said, you know, it's like, I'm basically doing the review and I know you guys had the same attitude of I'm just presenting you my, the game to you in a way, shape or form. So you can see what it looks like, how it plays. And then I'm telling you what I think about it. Mm-hmm. And then, but by no means by what I'm saying is, is right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not gospel. You're not like declaring the game is, is, is like in some pedestal. It's the thing, you know, one thing is weird is like we review they're They're called games. It's not like a serious thing. It's not like I'm reviewing the economic policy of politician XYZ and it has actual impact on Earth. Well, you know? well okay, I'm, I'm going to take you to task <laughs> even, on that. Even in that, you know, even in that, you know, economy and things like that, there's just so much subjectivity. You know, oh, the sure, yeah. Interpreted can be interpreted in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's so often is about a person saying, I have the truth and you don't get it. And a person says, no, I have the truth and you don't get it. And both quote unquote truths are just equally, you know, believable and justifiable. Yeah. If that happens in, you know, hard science, it happens in society, it happens in politics and economics. Well, right. it's how, when, when you get to human creativity, which is really what you're talking about here, because games are products of human creativity. Yeah. Uh, it's all subjective. The subjective aspect is so huge. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, I completely agree. And this is also what I'm, what I pretty much do in my reviews. I just to, uh, to share my experience. And so the people that watch my reviews and know what type of games I like and I dislike and what type of person I am, right. then they can filter that and see, Oh, if you liked it and I like what he likes, then I may like it. Or if he likes it and I hate everything that he likes, then I'm not going to like it. I, I was going to take you to task on something, uh, Joel. Uh, you, you made a comment where you said it's just games. Okay, I, I'm not saying they aren't just games, and I and I and I, yeah. and I get that. But uh, I would say that I mean seriously. I mean, uh, the people that log into Board Game Geek and are, are, are not, and are very active in the community, um, <laughs> you know, take their board gaming very seriously, yeah. and 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 so do you, and so does oh, yeah. Marco, and so do I, and it's just like and. So for somebody, if somebody were to come up to me and they would look and and look at the the video reviews I do, and they'd look at my collection and they'd and they'd say to me, "Wow, all this for just games? 
yeah. would be like, F you, pal. You oh, know, I just like, no, I, yeah. And I see how you could, no, and I should probably retract a little bit on that. But my thing is, is that um, the thing is, it's such like, and I always kind of go back to role playing games and not even like D&D and stuff. Is like, you know, there's these people that will play these role playing games where they stand around in a circle. They don't have any props. They don't have any, uh, you know, stat sheets or dies. And they role play these different experiences and things like that. And it doesn't happen a lot, but I saw a lot of it at Gen Con last year. Where a couple... It's LARPing, dude. I know, yeah, I know. A action, R role, P playing. Right, right. But it's not LARPing that, I, you know, you think of with like, you know, I know if you guys have seen the YouTube, like, lightning bolt video, but... Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So it's not like, that's what, when you say LARPing, I usually think of that. But this is like, they were role playing like a family in the 1950s or something was one thing I heard. I was like, what? And then... What? Yeah, I know. And uh, um, it was pretty crazy. I sat there and listened to him for a while. It was really engaging to actually just listen to and, you know, uh, listen to the things they could kind of come up with. Um, it was more like a theater thing, you know, like sort of an improv acting thing more mm-hmm. than a game. So my point with saying that they're just games is that the impact of the time spent and your energy is focused on this little box and board and things so it's not really and the thing is everything that everybody brings to the table is really what makes it you know talk about this whole kind of abstract game experience concept you know we're kind of getting a quagmire talking down that road but it's like giggity you said quagmire sorry (laughs) so (laughs) um so my point is is that if i come to a game and i like it for these little things all right, here's the thing, is there's a lot of, like, barbs that kind of get tossed on board game geek, like war gamers say, Euros play this dry, soulless thing. And then the Euro guys say, I don't know what the Euro guys say about war gamers, but, um, but it's like, no, it's not soulless. It's, you know, I, my imagination and my theme is still, still being engaged when I play Kalos, for God's sakes. And, you know, and people go, oh, you're, you know, stupid trading in the Mediterranean games or whatever, your castle building games. It's like, no, dude, I'm bribing this little jerk of a uh, sheriff who is this evil politician in my city to screw over the other subcontractors that are fighting for the contracts to build these buildings and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm trying to get the king's favor because the king is this corrupt jerk and I need to do this stuff to get his favor so I can build more stuff. And like, dude, the theme comes across to me, (laughs) you know, but it's not, and I totally get how that won't happen for everybody. And so I'm just kind of getting back to my point. It's, it, it, it's what you bring to the table. If you come in with the attitude of, oh, it's another trading game or another castle building game, well, go play something else. I don't need to hear from you. Yeah. This. No, no. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I mean, which I, I kind of always, I, I kind of get annoyed when I like read a review or I watch a video and um, somebody will say, oh, it's 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 another game about, you know, uh, you know, like the Mediterranean or it's another game about shipping or it's another game. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. well, if you're coming in with that mindset, how, that game, like, there's no way that game is going to impress you. I mean, it, it, it's or it, it could, but the game's got to be amazing to get over that hump, you know, yeah. and it's just and I, I guess that bugs me. I mean, it, it's. Um, but you know, that's, that's like first impressions and, and things like that. And, and right. just, I, I mean, mean, there if, are certain themes that are overused. I hundred percent agree with that. It's like, do we need another shipping game? But you know, I agree. I get that. But it's like, don't, 
I don't know. I, I'm getting kind of in a setting up a straw man or whatever, saying, "Oh, this fake person that doesn't like these games is whatever." But I'm trying to get back to my point. <laughs> well, he, of, he's out there. He exists. I'm sure. <laughs> but and uh, he's listening. <laughs> he's, he's 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 pounding his table right now as yeah. he listens yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah. Typing but, out an angry email. Yeah. But I think you guys kind of get my point. Is that um, it's it's hard to review these things and tell people. Like, is it a good or bad game? You know, you can't really, like, make a declaration that's going to be one way or the other abstract or uh, concrete uh, black and white. There's no way. So, yeah. so you just do your best. You mentioned yeah. something about themes, and you and something clicked in my head, and I was going to mention something. You're like, themes that, like, you know, do we really need another theme of a game with theme of this and so on and so forth? You know, the theme that, that, that has been tried a few times, but I have yet to find a good game, like a really, really good game, I guess you should say. Um, the Mad Scientist theme. Like, you know, you'd think that that would be a, a, a theme that you could, you could, you know, breathe life into that and you can make it super exciting for the players. I mean, it would have to be most likely towards the more thematic games, if you will, or Ameritrashy games. Right. But, there just hasn't been a really good man scientist theme game. I mean, like uh, going back to Wahaha from like White Wolf, like four years ago. That was like that. That game was a dog. It was just horrible. Right. And um, like I, I've been, I, I played. I got Nefarious. I bought that, thinking, okay, here's another mad scientist theme. And you know, okay, the guy who made Dominion, he knows something, right? And that game is just uninspired. Mm-hmm. And we've used that. That 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 game isn't. I've it heard that about that, and I haven't played that yet. But, but you know, uh, a good uh, mad scientist game. It's it's kind of good. It's actually more. It's like a kids Euro game. It's called a uh, Grave Business from Minion Games. Um, it's pretty good. My son likes it. Uh, no, no, I I have that. I like that game. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a kids worker placement game, and you like go and dig up graves and get zombie parts. It's awesome. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's 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 more of a necromancer, Doctor Frankenstein type game. I, 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 I yeah, want, yeah, yeah, you're I right. I want an awesome game about a guy in his secret lab underneath the ocean, another person with their secret lab in a volcano, and another person in their secret lab in Antarctica and stuff like that. And I want them to all be like either working together to destroy the world or, or working against each other in a race to, to destroy the world and like having awesome battles between minions with like bucket loads of dice and, and uh, you know, just cool resource collection and like, you know, and then like maybe, maybe there's like, uh, um, uh, like, you know, some sort of weird, like, uh, like James Bond esque, double uh, O uh, spy team that's out there that like you guys, everybody could influence and push around and stuff like that. And so if any designers are listening to this, go out and design that game for me. Cause I really want to play it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, Oh my goodness. Uh, we, we, uh, Marco, you haven't played any games the last couple weeks, right? So we mm-hmm. can just skip you. Right. Yeah, well, actually, it just so happens, believe it or not, they did play some games. Ah, uh, <sighs> fine, I'm you can talk about that. <laughs> Maybe after my daughter is born, things will change. But for now, I'm afraid that I have stuff to share. Um, and actually, I'm sorry, sorry, so- sorry, we ate up all that time. So no, no, go ahead. I'm gonna take a nap. That's okay. Joe, Joe will edit it out entirely. So you know, it'll be like <laughs> Joe's intro and then me. So don't. <laughs> Um, um, I played several games, and the main games that I played are two games, um, 
unusual in scope, one unusual in length, and one unusual in complexity. Uh, the one unusual in length is uh, Silent War. Silent War by Compass Game came out in 2005. It is a solitaire game where the player plays the role of the American military, the American submarine force in the Pacific in World War II, and you are leading, leading them all. You're not just directing a single submarine, you are controlling the entire fleet. And you move and control every submarine individually. Hmm. Uh, and the game has several shorter scenarios, but it has a famous campaign game that lasts 178 turns, and it goes all the way from Pearl Harbor to the end of the war. And for all those turns and all these years, uh, you, what you're trying to do is to sink as many Japanese ships as you can. And it is, if you look on the Board Game Geek page, it says that the game can be played in two hours, I believe. Um, but that's a slight underestimation because the campaign game is more around 200 hours. Between, well, it's definitely more than 100 hours, 150. You may lose the game earlier, you know, early loss, early defeat after 150 hours. But the full game is 178 turns. It takes around an hour per turn. And it is an extremely fascinating game. It is definitely a unique game. You need to keep it set up for a long time. Um, I use a magnetic board, so I just store it in a closet when, I don't, when I'm not playing it. Then I just pull it out of the closet when I want to play for an hour or two. And it is interesting because it is epic on one hand. You have the whole Pacific, you have a huge fleet of submarines, each with different stats. Um, some that may, then may develop uh, better skippers, some may get damaged, some may get stuck at base for a period of time. So there's a little bit of RPG there, but it's lots of submarines, a huge fleet. And the interesting thing is on one hand it's epic, because of the number of fleets involved, the number of combats, that you have hundreds of combats. Uh, but on the other hand, it is microscopic. I mean, there is a lot of micromanagement because when there is a fight, you are controlling a single submarine against a single convoy. You resolve that, then you move on to the next submarine. And then you resolve that, and you move on to the next one. So when I say like this, it seems horrendous, and it has a certain component that can be frustrating um, because it is really micromanagement. It is both strategic and tactical at the same time. When you are resolving combat, you're moving your submarine around, you choose what are the convoy you're trying to attack, how you want to use your torpedoes. If you want to press on the attack after the first attack, of course you get an advantage because you have better position, but now everybody knows you're there, so they're going to attack you back. Um, it is a fascinating game. Um, again, I just started playing it, which means that I played it for 12 hours. Uh, and I'm going to play it for the next months, probably. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of having a solitaire game that is set up there. I can pull it out of the closet. You know, it's not that, oh, I want to play a solitaire game tonight. I need to choose one. I need to set it up, play, put it back in the box. The game is just there. It stays there whenever I feel like playing it. And after two minutes, I decide to play it, I can play it. And since actually there is the advantage of the fact that each combat is resolved individually, 
It is really, it really is a series of short, quick actions. I can literally play for five minutes. It is not like, oh, in order to complete the turn, I need to play it for 20 minutes, half an hour. Otherwise, I kind of like, you know, lose the big picture. Because the big picture really emerges only through an endless series of individual combats. Mm. It's, it's a strange game and it is frustrating. Um, before I started playing the game, I heard a comment, I read a comment uh, online, which is, it's a game that takes a couple of months to play, and it is really not fun until a month, a month and a half into the game. <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that can't be good. Talking about expectations. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. As to talk about expectations going into a game there. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, it takes that long because the idea is that you start the, the war with very uh, weak torpedoes. And that makes strictly sense. The American submarines at that point were using fatally flawed torpedoes that made it almost impossible to hit anything. And the engineers, the scientists behind that were like, no, that's not, not at all. That's not the point. Our torpedoes are fine. You captains can't use them. You just don't know how to use them. And it took a while before they managed to convince engineers that actually the torpedoes need to be improved. And you're in that situation. So at the beginning of the war, you have very tough penalties, and the majority of convoys that you approach will just be too hard for you to sink. And this is what the guy meant. I mean, it takes a while um, for him to be fun, meaning that you get there and you start torpedoing the whatever out of everybody, and you start being powerful and deadly, etc., etc. I find it fascinating, even in this space, because I can read in a book about the frustration of the captains that managed to hunt convoy, that finally managed to find the fat uh, convoy to sink in the perfect situation, the perfect setup, a convoy that for whatever mysterious reason does not have an escort, and you had the stupid torpedo that does not work. And sometimes you have secret torpedoes that you fight the enemy, and as the name says, they go around and they get back to you, and and they may hit you. Um, I, I can read about this in history, but the point is that I'm seeing it, I'm experiencing it, I'm just seeing a different level of, uh, of depth, no pun intended, because we're talking about submarines, um, and I kind of like that. Actually, there is a type of fun in this, in this sort of like historical immersion again, no point at it again. Um, I, I just like that. But definitely it's not a game for everybody. And later in the game, definitely when I'll be powerful, when the game will be challenging uh, in terms of the actions that happen, then it will be a different type of fun. Probably will be, again, a more accessible type of fun. It will be more action-oriented. As of now, it is a contemplative game. Um I think probably this could be solved simply by having scenarios that, that, that do this. Actually, some of the scenarios probably are like this, um, in which you just start the game later in the war when your torpedoes are strong and so you're just attacking the games. But when you have a game that offers you the chance of doing a campaign game like this, such an epic experience of the entire war from that point of view, uh, I think that's what you want to do. That's really what you're buying the game for. Otherwise, it's like you go to... Um, all you can eat barbecue to to eat vegan. I mean, there's nothing wrong with vegan. It's just a waste of resources. You can have this epic thing. And why would you play shorter scenarios? 
Um, so I think it's a game that people will like very much, people have liked very much, or have disliked entirely. Because you don't play for 200 hours a game, you're like, eh, it's kind of good, it's okay. <laughs> I played it for six months. You know, either you give up much earlier, or you really embrace the philosophy, and you really uh, get to embrace the theme through the game, and then it becomes a very interesting experience. Yeah, it sounds like the journey is the thing. So The journey is the thing, definitely. The journey much more than the fight or the combat. In a way, it is a statistic simulation more than everything. Um, so it really is about building the big picture through an endless series of small events and seeing the picture emerge. It is definitely about the journey and the theme. That a game that I'm playing uh, is unusual for, for me in terms of complexity. And it is Virgin Queen. Even though I play fairly complex way games, Virgin Queen is still a notch above what I usually play. It is the sequel of Here It Stand. So it is about wars of religion in the late Renaissance. And this time is about this this game is about the second half of the 16th century. Plays up to six players. Uh, and like in Here I Stand, uh, each side plays in completely different ways from the other. You have the Ottoman player, you have the English, you have the Spanish, uh, the French, uh, the Protestants that do not have a country. They're spread through different countries. Each country just has different ways of dealing with things, different rules, different possibilities, and completely different styles. And there really is a lot. There. You have war so you have combat but you have technology you have patronage of the arts you have marriages this is a game in which you marry people um then you have diplomacy and you have some sort of like informal diplomacy like i make a deal with you and then maybe i change my mind but then you have formal diplomacy in which people are agreeing to bind binding contracts and there are specific rules for that there really is a lot to it and it is a card driven game that of course takes several hours to play and it takes hours and hours to play so actually i'm not playing a game in person i'm playing a game by email so it is going to take months and and this is the first time that i played this game um so i wanted to play the easy side and the easy side is the ottoman side because the ottoman player doesn't have to do much diplomacy everybody hates them and you hate everybody <laughs> and you just attack and do piracy. You have cool cavalry. You have cool pirates. You're not subtle. You just you're just trying to be the thorn in the side of everybody. So that's fun. I'm gonna play that part, which is sort of like the military aspect. And I'm going to I'm going to see the other players dealing with the diplomas and the subtleties, so I can learn the game better. And then I'm scheduled to actually play a game in person at the Comsim World Expo convention in three weeks from now so to me this is mainly a warm-up game for that main event in which i'll be able to play the game in person full day and probably at that point i'll play some more complex role but it, it's fun for now it's 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 complex without being too complicated there are no rules that are complicated per se There are just a lot of those non-complicated rules that you have to keep in mind now, if you had to compare, this is a CDG. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to compare it to, you know, what people sort of normally think of as a CDG, like Washington's War, Twilight mm -hmm. Struggle, 1989, 
how is it sort of mechanically because this is a multiplayer two to six player all of those are all two yep. player so if you had to compare you know what how, how the cards operate you know how you control area and you know could you go in a little bit about that because a lot of people yeah have a standard version queen but don't really know too much about it mm-hmm. uh the general mechanics are typical of cdg i mean the parts where the cards are described so the properly card driven aspect is pretty standard you receive a certain amount of cards uh, that will change depending on the side that you play and some other factors some side may get more cards earlier and and, later, and less cards later your hand size can change and so you receive cards each turn and those cards can be used for points or for the main events and there are ways in which some cards are added to the deck, some cards will not come back. Again, it's a pretty standard procedure. What makes it complex is not when you're playing a card for the events, but when you're playing a card for the points. That is, all the things that you can do with those points. All the different things in which you can invest points, different types of actions. Mm -hmm. And again, the political frame around it, which is just so much more complex than, uh, well, you know, Washington War, it's about a war pretty much. It has a political aspect, but the political aspect is not nearly as developed as it is in Virgin Queen. In which you, on top of the political aspect, you know, sheer politics, you have the religious aspect, which is an entire new layer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out of other games for the people. For the people, there's of comparable complexity mm-hmm. uh, to Virgin Queen. Uh, but for the people, again, it is much more military-oriented than, uh, than Virgin Queen. The military part, in a way, uh, it is very simple. Uh, resolving combat is simple, even simplistic. It is just all that you have to do in terms of negotiations and diplomacy and economy uh, to be able to have those two units in that position at that time so that you can attack. That really matters. So actually, mm-hmm. even though it is so much about the war wars, it feels to me more like a political game. In terms of feel... It feels almost closer to, say, 1989 than for the people. Right. I think it's really a game that will appeal to players that like uh, political games and on the subtle complexities. And this is really, uh, in a certain way, it is complex, uh, but it is supposed to be more about your experience of doing diplomacy and scheming Mm -hmm. and and backstabbing and double-crossing uh, your opponents much more than it is about rolling dice and maximizing your odds here and there. Well, it is about that, but again, you will never be able to do that alone. You will always have to deal with other people and make deals and break deals and be be subtle right. and, and double-cross people. It is really a diplomatic game, yeah. Probably that's, that's the best definition they can... Uh, come up with. I right, mean, so, I know that it's a play-by-email game, and actually works beautifully that way. Because you can play it around the table, and I can talk to you, but we can even say, okay, Joe, um, I was going to have a little walk. I want to talk to you. Well, people know that I talk to you, and I've talked to you about something that I don't want other people to know. Mm-hmm. But play-by-email works very well, because actually it simulates the idea that I'm the Ottoman player. I'm sending a letter to Queen Elizabeth 
You know, I'm Suleiman the Magnificent, sending a, a letter there. Uh, the Spanish ruler doesn't have to know that. Doesn't right. have to, we, to know that we talked at all. Right. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'll do the Spanish player. <laughs> it's not this. <laughs> uh, it's okay, Spanish player. It's, it's all fine. Just kidding. Uh, I, yes, it, I like that. I like that the, the by email, um, the by email game, even though it's really clunkier and more complicated to execute, still actually has the feel, the thematic feel of adding the level of secrecy that I feel it feels it fits it fits the theme, it fits the situation very well. Again, we're just at the beginning. It's a game that is going to take us months, maybe a year or so. But it's very promising. Everybody's very excited. We have six players, so it is ideal, ideal situation. And even if you play with less players in the scenarios, you still have to take into account all the other powers. Hmm. So it is not that you really reduce the complexity much. You just change the way in which you do things. But it's a fascinating design. Uh, It will take me... A while before I get comfortable. Well, I need to play it several times before I can put together a review. But my first impressions are very positive, and I'm really, really excited about this game. Then I played two Civil War games. Uh, actually, I should almost call them Civil War themed games. They're both very simple, uh, both with an abstract component. And very different in execution in that one is very good and one is terrible. One is just found terrible. Let's start with the bad one so that we can get rid of that and we can move on. Uh, Civil War Commander. Civil War Commander card game in the 10-minute war game series. I played other games in this series before. 10-minute war game, it's a great label, you know, it's very promising. When you play Virgin Queen that takes months, or Silent War that takes months, uh, then the idea, oh, a war game that I can play as a feeling in 10 minutes, it's awesome. It just doesn't happen. I played other games in the series, and they do not have much of a war game feel. And what is even more fatal is that they're just not that fun. You know, mm-hmm. I can play games that do not have a war theme and last 10 minutes that are fun, but these are not in that category and civil war commander is just this it's you have your hand of cards and there's cards on the table to represent territory fight positions that we're fighting to to control and you're defending you place down a card face down in front of each position on your side and i am the attacker i place two cards in front of each position then we reveal the cards will have a type and a strength, like infantry, strength three, cavalry, strength two. And that is modified by the terrain. So if I place artillery and cavalry in open field, then I get a bonus because artillery and cavalry are powerful there. And if I place infantry, it has a penalty, right? Mm-hmm. It's very basic, and this is pretty much the problem that there isn't much else hmm. when i'm putting down cards i'm gonna put infantry where it gives me good bonuses and cavalry when cavalry gives me good bonuses and i'm going to try not to put cards where they give me penalties there's no advantage in bluffing because right. at the end i reveal the cards that they place there and you reveal the cards that you played in your position we count the total of the modified strength points and we see who is the winner in that position so it's pretty dull because the, the, 
the choices are absolutely obvious. There's no reason not to exploit all possible bonuses. There are no subtleties to to use. There's no not much to do really. And this is really what what the point the problem is. It doesn't feel much like a game. It feels like an obvious exercise in in maths. Hmm. In math. Um, on the other hand, they played a very fun game with a Civil War theme, and that game is in magnificent style by Victory Point Games. I know, Joel, that you played games in the States of Siege series. That's right. Right? And, and so you know the series, the idea is that so the games, you are the player, and you're playing the Doom side. And the political or military entity that historically was overwhelmed and outnumbered, outgunned, it was... It would, there was no chance that that political or military entity would win the conflict. And so you're just a desperate defender. And the point is that you're not trying to avert tragedy, but to delay it. And if you mm-hmm. delay disaster long enough, then you can win the game, even if you will lose the the struggle. So this new series by Victory Point Games, the Death or Glory series, is sort of like a com- is based on a complementary idea. It reverts the idea of states of siege. Uh, and now you're not the uh, desperate defender; you're the desperate attacker. So it is a series that covers suicidal attacks. Uh, and the first title in the series, in magnificent style, refers to Pickett's Charge, you know, desperate charge on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, in which the uh, Confederates were simply um, mowed down by the Union that was defending against the charge that was taking place in a large, uh, completely open area. Mm. Um, And if you think about it, 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 this representing um, doomed charges, doomed attacks, is even more complicated, is even more challenging than representing desperate defenses, because a defender may be attacked in many different ways, from different directions, um, with different means, and that can create variety in the uh, in the action. But it is much more challenging to make a game that is interesting and fun to play out of the idea of you're walking through an open field and people fire at you and your men go down. And you keep walking and they keep firing. And you keep walking and they keep firing. I was really attracted by this game even before I knew much about it, just because I wanted to see how would they resolve the conundrum. And I have to say, after playing this game, they made it. Uh, the design is really smart. It does manage to make an interesting game out of a potentially ungameable uh, situation or a situation that's very hard to game and, and to make fun to play. And... Uh, what they did, uh, what the design does, is basically to turn this game into a push-your-luck type of game. Uh, it may not be very accurate as a simulation. It may not have much uh, historical depth. Um, but it is just very fun to play. You have nine brigades that you're pushing through the field as the Union fires at you. And you will roll dice before moving. And some results will allow you to advance some results will generate heavy fire on you, and some results will generate uh, particularly strong advances. The point is that as you advance, you have a marker that you leave behind, which is the regroup marker, uh, the rally marker. It indicates the regroup point. If you advance a lot in a single turn, so you keep rolling and you roll well, you roll advance, uh, and you keep just advancing and advancing, you may make a lot of progress towards the unit defenders, but the problem is that if you then 
receive a negative result, the effect is going to be much more devastating. Mm. Uh, and it's a, it's a smart idea to simulate the fact that um, the, the disruptive effect of the enemy heavy fire is more intense if your men are far from the regroup point. Um, and so you have basically this choice each, each turn. You progress just a little bit because if you stop progressing, if you stop moving at the end of the turn of that activation of that brigade, then you move the the rally marker up to where the unit is. Otherwise, again, the damage that you receive if you receive heavy fire from the opponent is based on the distance between your brigade and the rally point. The longer the distance, the more severe the damage. I, I don't know if I made it clear. Um, yeah. If you look forward, it's pretty it's pretty simple. Each right. each unit is represented by three things. One is the counter where the unit is, one is the a marker where the rally point is, and one is a numerical marker that indicates the strength of your unit. Mm -hmm. And that strength will go down fast, really fast. And it's a very simple game. Uh, it's one of the, the most straightforward, accessible games, 5 3 point games that I've ever played. Could be an introductory game. And it is simply fun to play. Again, it is not very detailed historically, but I really enjoy playing the game. It creates an intense narrative there's a lot of luck involved uh, from game to game. You will see different parts of your line being destroyed, different parts of your line being able to reach the opponent. But between the push-your-luck decisions and other decisions that you have, actually, um, you do have the sense that you're still part of the story. You're not just a completely passive agent push, pushing a cardboard and rolling dice to see what happens. You see that you see you still have a way to interact with of the chaos in which your your brigades are launched. So I was impressed. Even if the game had just been as fun, you know, half as fun as it is, I would have been impressed by the challenge of making a game of this type. Uh, and then it turns out that it's very, very well well thought out game. It's it's, a, it's quite an achievement, I think. You know, in term in design terms, I, I'm just really, really impressed. So, in Magnificent Style, uh, the first title in the Death or Glory series, and I definitely hope to see more titles um, uh, in this series in the future. Uh, I'm just hoping that there will be a game about the light, of, uh, the charge of the Light Brigade. I think that would make a fun game. And again, it's a situation that, as far as I know, is terribly hard to make interesting. And maybe now here we have the the core ideas around which a game about the charge of the light brigade can be can be made. So that was good. That was a, that was a good experience. And um, I know that you played other solitary trade point games yep. in the past, Joel. You enjoyed the states of siege. I think you may enjoy this one. Is this um, uh, easier to win or just about as hard to win as some of the other? That's the interesting point. It's not so much about winning or losing. It is, right. you score the game in two ways. One is historically. You score the points which are based on the strength of your units that at the end of the game are occupying union positions and other things. And then you have a list that goes from abysmal defeat <laughs> to unbelievable victory. And right. in most cases, you will really fall somewhere in between. So it is more about the degree of success and defeat that you obtain. You know, from stand from a standstill, draw, uh, minor victory, minor defeat, and it's it, the game is very 
it feels very well researched because when you see uh, the result, then the game also tells you what the historical results would be. If you had achieved that type of result, then the Union Army would do this and that, then people would react this and that. So the different what-ifs. Uh, and then you have a, a player's way of scoring the game, which again is based only on the number of union positions that you occupy. They can go from zero to nine. Right. And again, it's not like uh, under this level, you lose the game. Right. You just get one more position, you win the game. Right. So it's it's subtle. I, I kind of like that actually. It's not so much about winning or losing, but it gives you a sense of just different ways in which you can rewrite history and you can see how different outcomes, slightly different outcomes could have had different results. To, to get to get a good result, a decent result, still takes some place. And this is, at the beginning of the game, I really had the impression it was all completely luck-based or just hugely luck-based. But a game after game had been doing progressively better. So there's a chance that it just so happens that the dice dictated that. But I do have the sense that I'm just learning how to play the game. So you definitely have a way to influence the game, and you definitely have a way to learn how to do better from game to game. Yeah, that sounds typical of the other states of siege. And then uh, mm -hmm. Nemo's War uh, has a similar deal where you like you, you play the game, and then you see what your result is, and you go check a table mm -hmm. to see sort of. In that case, it's like the novel. You see how the novel ends. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this... but the other, yeah, other victory point games have sort of like, you know, you lose the game, and if you win, you check your level of victory. Mm -hmm. You right. do not have that strong divide. It is just about, let's see what the outcome is. Right. Uh, there's a, an old, old game by the guy that did Acquire called uh, Can't Stop. And yeah. it's like, you that thing where you're kind of like moving your guys forward up the field and can't mm -hmm. stop you, like you, you, you just roll dice and roll dice and roll dice. And then if you get so far up, and then you fail, well, you drop all the way back down. You don't, you basically didn't move anywhere. But if you choose to stop, then, okay, you're mm -hmm. lo locked into that position. Mm -hmm. And then on your next turn, then you can start from there. So it's okay. kind of like they made it like a war theme to can't stop. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that they added that thing. And then, of course, it's not just that. You know, that right. thing, choosing how much you advance before you regroup is the main idea, is the, the core mechanic. But then there are a lot of events. There are event shits that you draw. Um, and those add a lot of flavor on top of adding a lot of well, things that the Union can do to attack in different ways. Some areas of the map work differently from others. Mm -hmm. You can choose to use your leaders. You can call for help from Longstreet or even from Lee. The problem is that when you get to the fields and they start coordinating actions, they're also under fire. So yeah. the more you use them, the more you're putting them in danger. And trust me, if you manage to get Lee wounded or killed, you're going to pay a huge penalty <laughs> at the end of the game. And you should also feel ashamed, um, which of course happened to me. The second game, <laughs> Lee was just killed in the field. History should be rewritten entirely. You know, Generations of people will blame me. Uh, I managed to have Lee killed, I, I have to confess. But it's 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 fun. I Meaning all this to say that the game, well, first it can create very interesting, if completely crazy stories, um, but also it gives you enough choices the, to flesh out things around that core mechanics. It sounds awesome. I, I can't wait to try it myself. That's really fun. 
And another game that I just started trying, it's between, you know, games that I played and games I'm planning to play, is Nuclear War 68. And I know, Joel, that you played it. I know that you enjoyed it. I just learned the rules and I started playing the first scenario. I haven't even played it all. So it's really first impressions here. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just loving it. I Great. Ju- it just looks like, like a blast. It just looks like it's going to be absolutely awesome. Um, I played uh, other lock and load games in the past. I played you know, the lock and load system, um, Forgotten Heroes, Vietnam, Days of Her- Day of Heroes, all the games by lock and load that have heroes in the title. Those are all games in the lock and load system, which is very detailed and complex. Then there is a simplified version of that, which is called um, World at War, no, Nations, Nations at War. Um, And the first game in the series came out last year was White Star Rising. And it's a simplified version of that. Mm -hmm. And now I find the Nuclear Winter seems to me like a simplified version of White Star Rising. Uh, It really seems you can see some of the core ideas, but it seems just even more simplified. But still pretty awesome, still pretty absolutely fun, still very smooth to play. Um, Like in other lock and load games, there's a lot that is written on the counters, so you do not have to flip through tables and things like that. Everything's right there. You can just look at the board. Uh, But I think that's what I wanted to point out, this idea of three systems having similarities but different degrees of complexity, because I know that some people have had a hard time learning and playing the lock and load system, which can be a little daunting if you're not a word gamer, if you're just a casual word gamer or a beginner word gamer. So I wanted to point this out to say that now actually we have two levels of intermediate games. One could start playing Nuclear Winter, then from that move to White Star Rising, and then from that move to the full lock and load. And I think one has a very nice progression there and one could one once one gets to play the complex and very rewarding system the lock and load has created. On top of that, one will be playing awesome games all the way <laughs> because Nuclear Winter, again, very first impressions, but I'm having fun. Why Star Rising is a game that I enjoyed a lot last year. I think it was vastly underrated. Um, it has sort of like gone unnoticed, really. I, I, I haven't heard much about it, much praise about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really fun. It's a, that wasn't a fun game. And Nuclear Winter '68, ah, the theme is crazy. I mean, yeah, the theme is just ridiculously. I I'm trying to think of, and I was trying to think of this when I was doing my video of it. Was like, is there another game like this where it's like a, basically a war, uh, you know, squad level tactics, but it's so not, you know, historical <laughs> or anything. I'm trying to. There must be some old. Um, I don't know if it was SPI or Avalon Hill, you know, but there's they used to make like uh, I don't know Conan or or who's the guy that has that new movie um, that came out? He he was written by the same guy that wrote Conan, uh, um, like the John John Frost or something. He had a movie at the beginning of the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is the name of it? Anyway, they did like an old game. It was like tactical, and it was like fantasy creatures and people from Mars and but. Uh, uh, there's just not any really any games like that where it's it's basically a war game, but it's totally fantastical. No, I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of a game that is called AT43. Mm. 
Um, wait, no, AT43 is just uh, pure sci-fi. Um, I was thinking of mix between sci-fi and World War II. There's a game called Incursion, mm-hmm. which is about that. And there's another one, Dust, Dust. Yeah, Dust also ha- is about World War II and alien technology. So it's not nuclear winters without um, some precedents, but it is just an interesting idea here that is that in nuclear winter, Europe was devastated by um, atomic bombs during World War II. Uh, Hitler was assassinated. Himmler was in control, but Hitler managed to <clears throat> withdraw with uh, elite troops in underground bases. One kind of like has the idea that there must be cities and a full society down there. And now in the 60s, the Nazi have come out from, from the bunkers, from the underground world. Uh, Europe, the central area of Europe, is populated by mutants, um, just monstrosity and strange creatures. And you have also the NATO, the NATO units that are coming in to investigate what's going on. So mm-hmm. you have these three factions, uh, mutant, and you can have mutants versus Nazi, which is pretty pretty interesting situation. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. I yeah. It made me think of Smash Up, the upcoming game by AEG, you know, when they're putting together very strange factions. Right. I think that here, if you just, if they just could add that the Nazis managed to, to to create clones of dinosaurs, you could throw in some dinosaurs, I think, which would just be <laughs> even more awesome. But as maybe the expansion, maybe there will yeah. be the expansion. <laughs> if Mark Walker from Lock and Load, if you're listening to this, think about this Nazi cloning dinosaurs, even better. Aliens coming to Earth with clones of dinosaurs. Jeez. Just saying that. Let's keep our options open. But the game is 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 really uh, easy to play. Mm, it's really smooth, uh, yeah. and yet it feels very tactical. Uh, units have many different options, many different ways. Uh, they, they work in unique ways. Uh, it is just a game that is extremely promising to me. I'm just. I can't wait to go back to the scenario that I'm playing and to play more scenarios in the future. And um, well, I think this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a winner. I think this is gonna be a winner. Yeah, I totally enjoyed every minute of playing it, and it's just mm-hmm. um, I don't want to. I almost don't want to say anything because you're in the middle of playing it, so I don't want to give you more of my thoughts. <laughs> but uh, uh, give me uh, some. I will say one thing that was interesting to me, and I'm just kind of vaguely remembering this, but the three factions actually do play relatively different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're all basically the same. They've all got the same stats, but, um, you know, just, I, I distinctly remember that the NATO units seem to play, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but and may, maybe you can keep that in mind or something as you mm-hmm. play, but they do have sort of different capabilities. You know, mm-hmm. you've got the different... Um, uh, squads, you know, because you've got a leader uh-huh. for each squad, and uh-huh. like you've got the ra- first rangers, second rangers, and each of those squads seem like they have different types of units that are, you know, more prevalent in that. Like one will be mostly tanks, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so yeah. you've really got to try to plan and and because they've all got to be centered around that main leader unit, sort of the mobile headquarters guy. Yeah, and, yeah. And you've got to really say, okay, I want to put my tanks over here, and and uh, you know, and kind of wait for opportunity fire to happen. I don't know. It was just it was really engaging because, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, if you're the guy that has to go into a city or something, 
uh, even if, you know, the other guy's uh, chit is pulled, he's probably, he might like just pass because, you know, you've got to come to me. <laughs> so yes. I'm just going to sit here and as soon as you get in my line of sight, I want to stay active and ready. I don't want to spend myself and, Absolutely. you know, and do something that's not really that effective. I'm just going to sit here and wait. As soon as you come in, boom, I'm going to blast you with all my tanks. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just this little things like that made it really fun and interesting every turn. Yeah, and actually, the game has two of my favorite things in games at this scale, which are uh, commanders with a command radius, like you have here. Yes, yeah. the, 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 the forces are divided in groups that are fully effective only if they're within a certain radius from their commander, because, of course, that adds tougher choices for the owning player, uh, interesting opportunities for the opponent that will try to go after the commander, which, of course, feels pretty pretty real. Pretty, pretty That's the way you should do. That's the way it is effective, but you just have that trouble of keeping a certain your groups as tight as possible, but not so tight that if somebody then uses barrage, it's bad. But then the second thing that I really enjoy in games at this level, uh, this scale, is uh, chit pull. Yeah. Chit pull because you don't know exactly what group you're going to be able to activate next. You do not know the order in which units are going. Uh, it adds that unpredictability. It adds a certain fog of war. Uh, yet at the same time, doesn't make things entirely chaotic or random. It makes the game perfect to play solitaire. Um, and yet, then if you're playing with two players, it is still absolutely fun to play. Again, Joel, if you enjoyed this game, I think you would enjoy Why Star Racing because it also has these two concepts. Again, right. units divided in groups with a commander with a certain radius and groups activated by pulling chits from, from a cup. Uh, and if listeners, you're listening to this and you think you like these concepts, you like games that include these two uh, aspects of uh, gameplay, they don't really add complexity. They don't really make the game any more complicated. They just made it more engaging to play. And as you were saying about factions here being different, the main difference is that the, the mutants do not have commanders, do not have leaders, and they're all a huge faction. When you pull the chit of that, of that group, all can move, all can attack. So basically, they move in waves. They stay there looking at you, looking scary and ugly, and then they all move in a huge way, but then they are inactive for a while. Right. And you're just moving your little groups and trying to figure out how you deal with these gigantic monsters and other weird creatures that are creeping out of the of the nuclear zone. It it it's really fun. It's really fun. It feels so thematic uh, from the map and illustrations of the counters. Component quality is top notch, as we came as we have come to expect from Lock and Load. It, it's just a great game. I'm really excited about it. Well, thank you, Marco, for that uh, riveting uh, trail through Wargame World. I, I was able to stay awake through some of it. So, uh, no, but uh, but no, seriously, uh, I uh, one of the reasons why this podcast is awesome is because uh, we got Marco and he's like the Wargame guru. And uh, and uh, but uh, we were thinking, actually, because I know uh, he's Marco, you're going to Consum World soon. But there's also another big uh uh, uh, the first of the big uh, uh, conventions, and that's Origins, that's uh, coming up. Um, well, I guess technically this one will go up what on Monday, Joel? 
So then I yeah. guess like three or four days or four or five days later, uh, Origins will be uh, will be rolling along, and um, and I I know somebody's listed off a, a list of games that supposedly will be available to take a look at everything. Do you know anything about Origins, Joel? I, I I really don't know anything about it other than the website and and, and gleaning some knowledge there. Well, it's been around for oh, forever. I can't even I don't know when it started, but you know, it's it's a big uh, board game convention and other things, but you know, is it, got... no, is it is it like a sci-fi thing or is it a board game thing? Is it a gaming thing? Is it a what what is it exactly? Is it just? Uh, I think it's it's a bunch of things. I know, like they have some guests. Uh, you know, the the gal that does the guild on YouTube, Felicia Day. Felicia Day. Will um, be... My wife thinks she's cute. Oh really? Oh. Yeah. So. Uh... Don't... <laughs> um she was good in uh she was good in um uh, uh Dr. Horrible. Yeah. I which if you if you haven't watched that and you own Netflix, I don't know why you haven't, but Dr. Horrible was very uh interesting. And they're they're doing their they're actually going to start doing the sequel to Dr. Horrible. Oh interesting. Uh very soon. So I'm I'm excited to uh hear that. But I'm once again diverting from what we're talking about. Okay, Origins. Get back yeah. to that. So, you know, then Will Wheaton's going to be there, and it's kind of like Gen Con, because Gen Con will pull in a lot of sci-fi writers and things like that. Hey, let's, let's, uh, talk, let's talk Will Wheaton for a second. What, what's your take on the tabletop stuff that he's doing right now? Um, okay, mostly I like it, but I, I like, I don't know, I'm kind of a hypercritical person, so I think there's a lot of things they could be doing better. Um, one of the things is probably getting the rules right. Mm, it, yes, I've, I've watched every single show, and I think it has gotten better as I've watched it. And I think that has more to do with the games they've been doing, that the games seem to come across better, like on TV. Like the first yep. one was Small World. I don't think that's a good game for TV, so to speak. Well, I think they did a good job presenting. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Um, and 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 the thing is, is that what inevitably if if i offer up or you offer up or any video reviewer offers up a, a, a criticism about what he's doing inevitably people are going to say well we're just jealous and 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 okay you know i can buy into that a little bit i wish i had a production crew that, that did my videos but yeah. um but uh you know it's just like i will i'll say this and I, i'll let you get back to that i think it's very very entertaining but i just i don't know it it it, it seems kind of fluffy which I which I think is is what they want to be, you know. Mm. So I mean, it's doing exactly what they wanted to do, and, and they're being very successful. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Well, it has this whole sort of celebrity poker thing, and I hate celebrity poker because uh, I'm just like, no, you dummy, <laughs> why are you folding or why did you yeah. go all in? You know, that's yeah. the only thing thinking. And I'm not like a big uh, person that's really into celebrities, you know. It's like some people, I guess, are. I don't know, but. Uh, I do, I do find it entertaining a little bit. I just kind of, I don't know, from like a real hyper gamer, and maybe I'm sort of in the minority. You know, I don't. I think there's some things that they could do to improve the show to make the game a little bit more well presented and highlight the game a little bit more. But that's not really what they're trying to do. And you know, and I don't think they should do like a review of the game and you know a 20 minute explanation of how it works or whatever it is. But yeah. I think I just think there's some small things they could do, and with some editing and things like that, 
to to improve it that's all and i i it's kind of like uh i sometimes i turn it on and i just listen to the people especially if i know the game really well and i do chuckle throughout the show so anyway it's just, it's like what you know they're in their third or fourth show and if i think back to my third or fourth review it's total crap compared to my reviews now not that my reviews are the greatest thing in the world or anything but you know there's they're gonna improve anyway so no, and and in the bottom line, regardless of whether we were in love with it or we hated it, it it is getting more exposure to our board gaming hobby. And, yeah, totally. And and we could argue kind of back and forth whether or not that's necessarily a great thing or a good thing or whatever. Oh, please, I don't. I have a headache from an argument I had on Board Game Geek about that already. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I, you know, to a certain extent, extent, I think exposure is a good thing, and so I and I and I I can greatly appreciate uh, what he's doing, and, totally. and and I dig it. So now I but, will um, say, let, let me say one thing though about Will Wheaton, is he did a thing with the guys from Penny Arcade. I think it was it was either this recent PAX East or the one from last year. Mm-hmm. It's a series on YouTube, and you go and look, and they do a, a role-playing session live in front of like a studio audience in an auditorium or something at PAX. And it's the two guys that you know do the Penny Arcade, Will Wheaton, and some other guy I never heard of. And Will Wheaton is freaking hilarious in this thing. I mean, it, it's great. It's like eight, uh, you know, YouTube videos long in a series. Uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes afterwards so people can go find it. But it's okay. freaking uh, hilarious. He's so funny in it. But anyway. Oh, speaking of YouTube videos that are freaking hilarious. Uh, and God, now we're just totally all over the place. Uh, um, have you seen – it's kind of making the rounds just recently. Have you seen the uh, thing where um, – uh, I forget where it was at, but it's fairly recently. There was a, a huge uh, – um, uh, round like like uh, you know one of those things where like you uh, at, at a convention a sci-fi convention where you get a bunch of people up there to talk to the crowd or whatever and like like a panel if you will yeah. and so they had a panel of voice actors like famous like people that, that like have made a name for themselves being the voice of different people uh-huh. and like there was like several people like billy west and you know uh, john dimaggio the people know those guys from like futurama right. um i forget the guys uh Phil Lamar or whatever his name is, the guy who did the voice of uh, uh, um, the brain from Pinky and the Brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Conroy, who is very, very famous for being the voice of Batman from Batman the Animated Series, you know, things like that. Anyway, so they, they took the radio play of Star Wars A New Hope mm-hmm. and those people acted it out, but they didn't act. They acted it out like narrating the thing was Kevin Conroy as Batman. So Batman was narrating the radio play. And then as they did different scenes, they, 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 they changed things up. So it's like, okay, the stormtrooper will be played by John DiMaggio being Bender, you know? And so then he would, and here's like, and you see, you see them and they're just doing the their Bender voices, you know? Huh. Yeah, and, yeah, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty hilarious actually. I mean, it, it, it has hits and misses, but it, it right. hits more often than not. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it was funny with like uh, professor Hubert farm, Hubert Farnsworth, uh, playing, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, and, and, um, uh, Zoidberg playing C3PO and, and <laughs> things like that. And one guy had a dead on spot, dead on Christopher Walken being R2D2. Hmm. Which you have to listen to it to, wow. to like figure it out. But anyway, so uh, check that out too. But no, Origins. I guess like everybody always talks about Origins as being like the first, like first of the of the gaming conventions. But it just seems like everybody always gears up for Gen Con for their releases. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then of course Essen, of course. But right. um, I don't know somebody was kind enough to list off a few games that were coming out uh, at, uh, at at Origins, and I was I was I was looking at those, and I mean a couple of them kind of jumped out at me. Um, you know, I mean I, I already talked about uh, uh, Rolling Freight, uh, you know, which th- th- that's going to be there. And uh, that that's a that's a really good dice train game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's another dice game, um, the 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 rolling seas di- or whatever. What, what, what is that one called again? I Pirate dice. Called. Pirate dice, yes. Uh. And that one looks pretty awesome, actually. Um, from what I from what I've read and 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 what I've looked at, and the art looks pretty cool too. Yeah, I want That's one I want to check out. Rolling freight too, but pirate dice is. And you were saying you earlier you had a copy of what is it? Robo Rally Express. Yeah, some somebody actually um uh uh user squash uh Josh um for my wedding you know one of the coolest things about Board Game Geek is like you meet lots of really awesome people and who just like will do really awesome things for you just for no reason whatsoever but a guy that I exchanged uh, uh emails with many times and also he was my choice for Geek of the Week after I I had been Geek of the Week um squash username um this guy Josh up in Canada for my wedding uh he made a copy of Robo Rally Express, which oh. is basically Robo Rally is a dice game, and he and he sent it to me, which I've played and which is an amazing. And supposedly, I guess that you were saying, I think you mentioned to me earlier that that pirate game is based off of Robo Rally, or I think the design, from what I remember hearing or reading, the design is really the exact same, uh, but they've rethemed it, and then now uh, was it Griffin's publishing it, or Eagle, yeah. Eagle or Griffin, something like that. Well, it's they're all one and the same, right? So. Yeah. They must be putting it under Griffin because it's a light game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what they. That's like the light version. Of the that's Eagle. true. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, I think it's the same. There's probably been some modifications or something. But uh, and you know, Robo Rally Express has kind of been on my radar as far as like a game to look at. And they're like, oh, well, they're just going to publish it as pirate dice. Yeah. I mean, other than that, um, I know that uh, the same guys did Warlords, uh, Warlords of Europe. Um, a game that like you know kind of risk esque but kind of really fun. Um, it, I, I shouldn't. I hate using risk esque to yeah. to describe anything because people like well, normally just like kind of frown when they hear that. Yeah, I groan. But, um, I groan inside when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but um, it's very uh, uh, Warlords uh, of Europe was a game like basically Europe map and it was a very um, uh, uh, good, very good game about uh, you know armies and controlling areas and taking over parts of the world and in Europe in in the medieval times and and uh, I mean it had some differences because there were cards and there were other things negotiation things that you could do and, and it was it's actually a really good game but um, the guys who made that uh, like kind of just vanished they made that game and then they didn't do anything else and like that game uh, Warlords of Europe was uh, in my, it seemed like it was a very, it was like a labor of love. It was something that they worked really hard on. It was a game that they knew they had been developing for a long time, and so then they they published it, and then, and then they didn't do anything else. And I and I've seen that happen a few times with like small independent publishers where they just basically just want to get that one game out there just so they can say they published a game or I don't know what. But now they got a game called uh, Stellcon Infinity or something like that, and it's mm-hmm. supposed to be a Stellar Conquest. It's it uh, it looks really interesting. I mean, um, I guess I when I read about it, 
and I know it's, I think it went through Kickstarter and I think it succeeded through Kickstarter. I, I, I don't know exactly for sure, but I think that's um, right. Yeah, when I when I when I read about it, I was really really excited. And then I then I saw some of the components, and now I'm kind of I'm kind of on the fence right now. I, I I don't know. I just it it doesn't really have a, a big map to explore and, and things like that. It's more like each person has their own little player board, and I don't know. It, it still looks kind of neat. It's it's definitely one of those things I got to take a look at it and see if it'll work for me. I don't know. Did anything else jump out at you as far as Origins goes? Yeah, it's a StellCon one. It just looks really different and funky. So it's like one of those I just, you know, like leery about, want to hear more about first before I really spend any time on it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's not really much. More of the stuff's coming out in Gen Con. Yeah, uh, that, that seems like... I mean, last year, I mean, the Couriers came out at at, uh, at, at, at Origins, and everybody right. just went, you know... Bananas. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's I was gonna say ape shit, but I mean uh, bananas will work, and um, you know, and and so I don't know, maybe maybe that's uh, you know, so I don't know, they just don't seem to release the, the the big stuff at Origins anymore. I don't know. Right, I think um, I mean there's like two other games out of that list that it's on Board Game Geek. Uh, there's Rolling Freight, Pirate Dice, Turn A, which I already have. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should I'm stupid. Uh. Z-Man's releasing Tournament, but they're also re-releasing the reprint of Goa, which isn't really a new game. But uh, and I've never played Goa because I. I wasn't I wasn't into the board game world when that was mm-hmm. I don't know uh, you know uh, big or whatever like that. So I don't know. I mean I I, I know people have people gush about it, but right. yeah, I'm interested in it. But uh, you know they'll have some at Gen Con, which me and you are both going to, and I think Marco's going to show up for a day. Yeah, what's up with a day? What's up with that? Why, why, why only a day? I don't know. He's busy. Too, uh, Maybe two days. <laughs> I don't oh, know. How kind of him. I, I, and for those of you wondering why uh, why he's not chiming in to uh, to shut us down right now, it's 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 because we told him to go to bed so we could talk nasty about him. <laughs> uh, so the other thing is uh, Viva Java, which I'm already I backed that on Kickstarter anyway. So you know uh, that game looks silly. I don't know. Oh, it looks like a light, you know, seven wonders, seven player. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it is. No, it no, no. looked interesting enough for me to break out as a filler. It didn't. It didn't snag me. I don't know. Um, I don't. Conquest Tactics is another game that's coming out then, or it's gonna. I don't know. I I don't. Uh, I I wasn't. That didn't look all that interesting to me. It looks like it's like one of those collectible games that's trying to be a board game. I don't know. I was yeah, about like, that. I got the same same impression of that. Uh, yeah, it didn't it didn't any any kind of situation where it's like when you buy the game you get a random deck or something like that. Right. I, I just you know just. Yeah, automatically tune out when I hear that. You know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Just just come out and just tell me you want my money, and 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 instead of trying to like say, oh, it'll be completely random what you what you receive. Yeah, you, know, you know, just. Oh, you know what looks good that I'm uh, somewhat interested in because of a Scott Nicholson video is um, City Baba, which is like a dungeon crawl Euro thing where one guy. What? Yeah, it looks crazy. There's go watch uh, Scott's video of City Baba and it's like a it's. You know, like you have to go through, and there's like a dungeon master and stuff like that. 
and but it looks really funky and unique and different. So I forgot. I, I, I totally I totally disdained that game because I was just like City Baba. What the hell? It's another another game about trading rice and spices in India. I mean, that's literally yeah. what I thought it was. Are you serious? It's like supposed to be like a, a dungeon crawl. Well, it's not like a a theme of orcs and you know goblins, but it's you know one guy has a screen and he's a dungeon master and so to speak and then these other guys have to kind of cooperate and get through a maze i think there's some kind of weird time aspect to it um but yeah that's one i'm not really sure that i like because it's not you know my normal type of game but i'm pretty sure they'll have it at gen con and they'll have it at origins and maybe i'll just sit down for a demo of it and see if i like it let's see here city baba it's from asmodee yeah who who kind of hit or miss as far as well? I mean, they I guess they they, they backed up the truck to the to the bank with uh, Eclipse, but um, and how many people out there who don't own that are still like just saying, where is the reprint? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, awake up at night. <laughs> well, I know I have a couple friends who have had pre-orders and they're just they're just chomping at the bit to get that. Let's see, City Baba players take on the roles of City Baba and his friends who are searching for the hidden treasure in a cave. Uh, one of the players who is the moderator has a map and helps guide the other players when providing visions. What they using? This this just sounds really weird. Unfortunately for City Baba and his friends, leader of the thieves, the game owner knows that City Baba and his friends are in his cave and are after their treasure. City Baba and his friends will win if they manage to get the treasure and get out of the cave before the oil lamp goes out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll it, it sounds it sounds very weird. Yeah. But it might be awesome. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, that's another one that's just you know it's it's not really something I usually play, but you know, it might be fun. But other than yeah. that, yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to all kinds of good stuff at Gen Con, mainly because I'm going there. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I think that'll be cool once we get there. But yeah, yeah, it, I don't know Origins. I mean, and and maybe it's more of an RPG thing. I don't know, but it just uh, uh, I would say Gen Con's much more of an RPG place than or uh, Origins. Now, Origins, one thing that it has is what they call the CABS, the, the Columbus Area Board Game Society. And they have this, it's like a gaming group. And they have like, you know, weekly uh, games, board game night. But there's like at least 200 people there every single night. And they... Great. Yeah, I know. It makes me want to move to Columbus. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they run the board game room at Origins. And so, you know, they just run this giant room and there's a big giant board game library, library that uh, Cabs has with hundreds and hundreds of games. It's sort of like a mini BGG con inside of Origins. So that kind of has that going for it. And that has been sort of the, from a board game perspective, the thing that Origins has over Gen Con. Now, I know I mentioned this last episode, but now Gen Con starting last year, or even actually the year before last, but really kind of gaining steam last year and probably even more so this year from what I've you know, talked to people about, they're going to have sort of a board game library room to go and play. And uh, so pretty much there'll be no reason for Origins to even exist as far as the board gamers are concerned. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I've never been to Origins. I like to go there. Just because I, you know, it's I... smaller. You know, Gen Con is like sort of a, a zoo. I've, I've, I've never been to Gen Con, so I, I, yeah. I have to go obviously at least once. But I mean, um, you know, from what I've heard about Origins, it's, it is kind of laid back, but it, right. you know, not necessarily bad though either. I don't know. 
I think I think if you uh, wanted to, um, you know, have a more uh, friendly, uh, what's I'm looking for here, like like if you wanted to be able to sit down and actually talk to a designer and actually like have a have a good uh, conversation with them, I, I think I think Origins obviously would be the better route to go. But well, I don't I don't even know about that because the the board game room at Gen Con was great. I played Kingdom of Solomon with, you know, Philip DeBerry and James Matthew from Minion Game. Well, they didn't play with me, but they sat there and we chatted a little bit. And the guy, the designers from, uh, what's that other, Adventure Forth was there. There's, you know, it's, it's a little more, it's a little more crazy and stuff. There's just so many people running around. But if you go in the board game room, uh, you know, Jeff Engelstein and Brian Engelstein, his son, they did Aries Project. They were in there. Um, so I think you just got to kind of know where to go. But, but yeah, I mean, you're probably right. There's probably a better chance at Origins. Or BGCon is probably the real place to go if you're really into board games. But but I, I, I've always wondered if I should, uh, as far as BGCon, I, I mean, I want to go to it sometime just to, like, you know, actually meet the people that I've had discussions with all the time. But mm-hmm. that sounds like you're just spending a lot of money just to go and sit down and play, like, just play board games, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing. But, yeah. um. You know, it's like, you know, the whole thing about Gen Con is like going and seeing the new releases and all that stuff like that. Right. Which, uh, maybe, maybe there's that stuff there, too. I don't know. Who knows? I don't. Well, obviously, I don't. So. Well, yeah, you're. I think you're right. BGG Con's all about playing games. Now, there are, I think, Fun Again, or I think it's Fun Again, goes to BGG Con. And they have, they grab and bring over a whole bunch of Essen releases. And so you can get those there and play those there. But locally, we have a convention that's in Washington, and they do the same thing. So it's like, well, I can either drive to that convention, <laughs> or I can get on an airplane and go to BGGCon. I, I still want to go to BGGCon, I think, just so I can go there and have like 100 people like punch me in my eye for something I said on BGG, I guess. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't I don't make enemies. I just... <laughs> yeah, you do. No, not on purpose. Everybody's got enemies. Yeah. But no, I think it'd be awesome to go to BGGCon just to just to do it, no, mark it off the bucket list. Oh, you gotta do it before you die, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, do it once. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just like, I, yeah, I mean, it's just like, and plus, I I always want I I want to go to Essen at least once. Yeah. You know? See, you that's know, the one I least want to go to because I don't think there's a whole lot of game playing going on there. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I, there's a lot. I don't think there's as so much game playing as there's a ton of like you know demos and and you you can sit down and play like half a game or something with somebody and learn if you're gonna like it or not. Yeah. Which you know I mean which and plus it's just I mean obviously the one thing I worry about and I probably am like just being ridiculous because I you know I'm, I'm I'm American or whatever is that I worry about the the, the language barrier and things like that and Mm-mm. and but I but I'm sure. A convention of that size, there's got to be, you know, people recognizing the fact that there's people from, you know, non-German speaking people are going to be coming and going to that convention. Yeah, I think they, that, that would be my guess too. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other thing is, is that um, with Essen is like, do the American companies go there? I mean, does like Fantasy Flight Games have a, have a, have a booth at Essen? I don't think Fantasy Flight does, but I know Gary Games goes there. You know, the guys that do Ascension, for example. That's the and only thing they do, though, right? Ascension, yeah, for now. Yeah. Um, but, 
I'm trying to think who else. Tasty Minstrel's gone there this year. I know that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's probably like, I think the guys from Rio Grande and Z-Man probably go there, but I don't think they have a booth. They probably go check out all the games to see which ones they want to import. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I almost had my wife convinced because we got married last year. Um, well, no, technically, we've been married a year, a year and a half ago now, kind of. Um, we got married in October, and uh, it was right around Essen time, and I almost had her convinced that we should go to Essen for our honeymoon. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then I even, like, was pointing out, it's like, look, they have these tours, and you go to Essen, but you also can go and you visit all these, like, historic spots, and yeah, right. it, it didn't fly. But no. um, I, had a, I had about a 20% chance of convincing her, and... It didn't work, so we'll just you know move forward, right? So you rolled snake eyes on that one, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I just I she 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 said that um someday it would be nice uh for us to go you know to it because she knows I'd I'd really dig it, but you know as far as you know us celebrating our marriage that was not going she wasn't going to follow me around as I was I'd gush over uh, board games and stare at them. <laughs> For 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 three days or however long it lasts. So. <laughs> but well, I mean, I think. Uh, but no, there's like. But then there's the big Consim West, and I think Marco is. Yeah, he's the big. He's the big. Uh, big name. He's going there representing 2d6.org, and of course himself and mm-hmm. and his real good buddies Joel and and and, and Lance. So yep. maybe we should let him talk about that now. Yeah, I'm going to Consim World, and yes, I. They invited me. That's officially. It's it's very exciting. I'm very flattered by that, and I want to thank John Krantz for thinking of me when organizing Consum World Expo. Um, also, it is going to be uh, the only uh, convention that I'm going to this year. Uh, well, maybe I'll try to have a quick visit at Gen Con, but I still don't know. The one that I know I'll go for sure is this one, which is happening at the end of June. Uh, it's in Arizona, and it is a great event for our gamers because they have two main um, types of events. One is called uh, open gaming, where you just bring your games and you play regular games, but the other one is monster games. Those games that were gamers buy, they read the rules, they look at the map, and then they never get to play, or it's very hard to play because it takes a lot of space. Um, tens of hours to play and this is where that happens where players get there on monday and they play one of these monster games for day and days um, i'll i won't be able to be there all week so actually for this year i'm going to do open gaming only but still it's, i'm going to be able to play a lot of different games to see uh gamers from all over the country from all in the world there is a guy from Philippines that I have been in contact online. We're gamer from there. You know, we exchange emails and messages. I'm going to be able to play a game with him face to face. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. And I'm planning my schedule pretty much right now. I'm contacting people. You know, you write in advance on the site what games you'd be interested in playing. You see what people are going to play, and you just set up your calendar. So I've contacted people, and what I'll do in June is pretty much to get ready for that. I'll play the games too, but I'm just trying to, I will learn and train and practice the games that I want to play there. And I'll try to emphasize games um, that have hidden information and that are therefore hard or impossible to play solitaire. 
just to, to kind of like, you know, make good use of the opportunity of spending days playing face-to-face with the actual people there. Uh, games that could be played by emails, but it is just easier and more fun if you can play them like that. What? And these games... Hmm? I was going to say, what uh, games are you looking forward to playing? Oh, I'm looking forward, and I've contacted people, and I've scheduled sessions. So I have sessions of Bomber Command, a uh, GMT game by Lee Brimicom Wood, uh, phenomenal designer of air combat games, famous for uh, the excellent use that he does of hidden information, uh, which I get makes his games very engaging to play, but hard, for example, to play Solitaire. Uh, Bomber Command is a game that I've had on my shelf since it was released. Haven't played it yet. I'll play it there. Um, Napoleon's Triumph. Napoleon's Triumph. It's mm-hmm. nothing less, nothing short of a modern classic. I've had it on my shelf for way too long. Um, feeling ashamed every time I look at it. I haven't played it yet, and finally I'm going to play it. The guy I'm playing it at Consume World is going to teach it to me, meaning after I learn it, we're going to play it online. He's a very generous guy, uh, very excited to teach me the game and to see me make ridiculous, pitiful mistakes and, you know, without judging me. And then we're going to play it in person. I'm really excited about that one, about, about pretty much all of these games. Um Virgin Queen, I mentioned earlier, I'm training myself to play the game and finally we'll have a full day of six-player six game of that. Uh, then I'm playing uh, Fab Bulge. No, oh. sorry. Fab Bulge is the first game in the, in the Fast Action Battle series. I'm playing the second title, uh, Fab Sicily. Oh, yeah, I've been looking forward to playing uh, either of those. They look pretty cool. Yeah, I I have both. I started reading the manual of Fab Bulge some two years ago uh, when the game came out, and the manual was really confusing after a couple of pages. I was like, ah, what 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 what's this? It just seemed utterly confusing. And then later, I read comments online of people saying the manual makes it sound much worse than it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe the manual is not the most user friendly, but then the game is much easier than the manual uh, lets you understand. So I want to give a try to the system that I haven't tried yet, and I'm going to do it with the most recent title, Fab Sicily. Uh, there's one more game. Oh, yes, yes, a card-driven game. So I can see I'm, I'm really serious about this idea, hidden information, cards, and things like that. Um, and it's the 30-year war. Again, a GMT game that came out a couple of years ago. Um, not a very well-known game, not one of the most popular card-driven games out there, you know, not a For the People or Paths of Glory, uh, but a game about theme that is very dear to me, since in my other life, in my academic uh, day life, I specialize in the 17th century, uh, literature, culture, art of the 17th century, and the 30-year war is just the main event. It's this fascinating immensely complicated, immensely um, multifaceted conflict um, that I've read a lot about, uh, and I rarely get to play games about that conflict. So um, I really look forward to to that one. Also, it is not one of the most complex card-driving games out there. So if it plays well, if it's fun to play, uh, one day I may use it with my grad students. This will not be a game like Road to Enlightenment that I can play with the undergrads. This is definitely going to be for the grad level, but 
I hope that it can also be used that way to show that political aspect, because political and military. Because I open most of my classes um, at the greater level in which you talk about the 17th century with some large chunks of the class talking about the, the 30 year war. And finally, to have a way to give students a better sense of that to me would be a huge plus. But for now, I'm just really excited to play a card-driven game that I haven't played yet, and it is about a topic that I have a soft spot for. Cool. So yeah, so June is going to be pretty busy. The first part of June, preparing for this, playing these games, solitaire and or by email. Uh, and maybe if I manage to play them face-to-face, that'd be even better. But it may be hard, again, just because the second daughter is coming soon. So I think the face-to-face will have to be put on hold. But then... When I go to Consume World, I'll finally play these games face to face, and the reviews will coming out in will come out in in July when I'm back from Consume World. Cool. So this is also a little preview. If I don't release many reviews uh, in June, know that I haven't forgotten about my hobby, and I'm still learning, still playing solitaire by email, and there will be reviews of the games that I mentioned coming out at some point in July. Oh, I'm jealous of you. I wish I could. Uh, maybe that's something I can do next year instead of Gen Con again. I could go there and get my feet of course, wet. Of course, the idea would be to do both. But if you have to yeah. choose, um, it's, it seems pretty cool. Trust me, I'm, I've been in contact with all the people that I'm playing games with. Um, everybody's very excited. I mean, you know, we're exchanging emails. Uh, I don't know, but people are very serious. You know, when it comes to word gaming and to learning a manual that has over 40 pages to play a game that's over six hours long, people are serious. You're playing with com- people that are committed to the theme, committed to the game, committed to the art of playing a game of this type. Right. And it is just rewarding when you can put together six of these people around the same table. And then what you have clearly is a very it's a very intense gaming experience. And I just, I'm just dying to do that to be there <laughs> okay thank you for joining us for another episode of wooden cubes and iron soldiers went a l- little bit long today but uh, hopefully you got some nice information about the uh, conventions coming up and some of the games we've been excited to play and can't wait to do this again next time take care